Coming up this week, off screen. Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence are passengers. Martin Scorsese brings the silence. Lucas Till straps in for some monster trucks. Brian Cranston asks, why him? Will Smith checks out the collateral beauty. Bruce Willis faces the marauders. Liam Neeson begins Operation Chromite. A monster calls. And the clash are set loose in London town. All those to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Cutter. My name is Case Allen. So, loads of stuff to get through this week. Our mm. final regular show of the year. We've got film news, we've got film reviews, we've got the box office top ten, and of course we've got a disclaimer we've got to start with as well, which is we cannot legally review monster trucks until 12.01am on Boxing Day. Yeah. And the problem is, even the podcast edition of this show, which is the last version to go out yeah. after radio... So on, on Christmas Day, all we want to do is put out our review of monster trucks. Exactly. Yeah. So what I'm going to have to do is, we're going to do it in the podcast extras, I'm going to remove it from the podcast that goes out uh, before on, on Friday, and I'm going to have to swap the podcast out on on Boxing Day itself. So, if, if you want to hear the Monster Trucks review, you have to re-download the podcast edition after Boxing yeah, Day. You can listen to it while having your turkey sandwich. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's your bubble and squeak and all that stuff? Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So, uh, you got some film news to start off this week? I got a few little pieces. Not as much news as I usually this, but I got some good. Some uh, pretty, some it's almost like they're all on holiday or something, isn't it? I know. Yeah. Like there's a certain uh, certain holiday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Dick Van Dyke was given. An interview recently. Van yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most censored man in Hollywood. The most censored man in Hollywood. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you are aware that we're getting uh, a long awaited sequel to Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins Returns, I Mary believe. Mary Poppins isn't Returns it? Yeah. comes out uh, 2018, so we've got a mm-hmm. couple of years, but it begins uh, filming next year. Uh, Dick Van Dyke has now said that he is actually going to be a part of it. Nice. So uh, we don't know whether Bert, that's the character he, he played in the, yeah. in the OG, if uh, if Bert is going to be returning off, he's just going to do like a Ghostbusters style <laughs> cameo and just, just, he just turn happens up. to know about just the events be of. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he's going to be there, so that's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah fair, I'm fair a fan of that. Yeah. He's in 91 now, Dick Van Dyke, I think. Uh, I think he's just 90, but... Just 90. Even so. Wow, yeah. Do you know what? He's still as sprightly and energetic as he yeah, ever was. Yeah, he was... Well. Uh, I forget what the awards show was, but he turned up on a... Um, some some like award show and he was like doing a whole tap dancing routine and did you ever yeah, see him on Conan last year he uh, he chalked yeah. he chalked the secret of his longevity up to I have a banana split every day every day every day that because apparently sense. he wasn't allowed ice cream he couldn't have ice cream as a child yeah. so as an adult he treats himself to a banana split every, every single day, day. And good on him looking at him if that's the secret to, you know having that energy and that uh, that <laughs> presence and that feel at his yeah. age I'm, I'm gonna have to start I'm gonna have to get, overcome my fear of bananas and start uh, eating you see I I don't actually like bananas no. so. I don't, but uh, I'll start if it gets yeah. me like Dick Van Dyke. On, yeah. on his recommendation. So on which note, let's start the top ten. Let's get this yes. out of the way because there's so much to fit in this week. Number ten. It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it's, it's about time of year. Yeah, it's a reissue. Uh, you know, Park Circus have this massive back catalogue. They've reissued it. And it's a holiday classic. If you've never Absolutely. seen It's a Wonderful Life, you totally yeah. go and see it, shouldn't you? Uh, my wife is taking uh, her students to go see it tomorrow. Excellent. That's a nice summer. way to end the Christmas tour. Absolutely, yeah. But um, I don't think we need to recap it. It's just, it's a classic. It it's, is. It's incredible. Number 
number nine. Allied. It's just not as incredible. N- not, not as incredible. Yeah. In no way a classic. And the first half's really good and a great travel log, a yeah, espionage adventure kind of film with some scintillating chemistry from Brad Pitt and, and Marianne Cotillard, who, uh, as Samantha B brilliantly pointed out re- recently, only becomes a thing around Oscar time every yeah. year. <laughs> the rest of the year, we kind of forget that Marianne Cotillard exists. Uh, the second half is just weak sauce, though. It's, it's this trite, you know, done to death espionage is my wife really a traitor kind of nonsense and you don't care and when you sit and when the chips are down it's all over you sit and think actually not an awful lot happened in that film for a big investigation into his own wife he really didn't do an awful lot mm. but uh, it, it's passable and it's one of those that uh, the older parents might enjoy but that's really about it number eight arrival of course we have got the film the top ten of the year to come next next week so spoilers, spoilers. we like this film a lot we like this film a lot yeah <laughs> it, it might be the top we don't know we're not gonna five. say it's somewhere in the top five um but it's got it's got a lot of really great performances in there uh, tight direction brilliant cinematography just atmosphere it really is as good as you've heard number seven the nutcracker it's a, a bolshoi ballet performance well we don't get to review those do we so they don't look pressure no, them. We although, don't get to them. there is going to be a, a disney uh, live action version of the nutcracker coming out in two years really is it going to be a ballet again or are they actually just doing the story i think they're just doing the story there might be some mm, dancing ballet elements. and dancing elements is yeah. lin-manuel miranda involved no, uh, the director is uh, Lassie Hallstrom, who oh, did uh, Side House. I know, just <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Left yeah, do you know what? You kind of, I can actually see it like Lassie can, Hallstrom, yeah, Hollywood. Absolutely. Number six. <laughs> Trolls. Well, you know, it's been nine weeks. It is hanging yeah. in there, and it's obviously going to get more business over Christmas with the kids being off. It's going to um, be that and Moana. That's yeah. counter programming to Star Wars. There are those two big kids' films out, and it'll, it'll still bring in some bucks over Christmas. And fair play to it. You know, it's colourful, it's friendly, it's sweet, it's nice, it's happy yeah. go lucky. It's better um, than anyone that thought that it would be. It, definitely, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, I, I mean, I thought this was going to be just another shameless cash-in. I thought, it's Smurfs you again. Smurfs. Um, yeah. It's not Smurfs, it's way better. It's still not Peabody and Sherman, though, and that's my benchmark. And uh, But, you know, I liked it. I liked it. I can't fault that. So, okay. oh, let's plug the podcast real quick. Let's. Uh, because, obviously, we can't fit everything into this week. <laughs> definitely not for this it's, week. It's, not, it's impossible to it's, do it this, this week. Is a big old week. It's a big old week, because yeah. it's the Going last one big. before Christmas. Yeah, know? so everyone's like, oh, we've got a film, put it out. Exactly. So, of course, we have the version that you get to hear over broadcast radio, and of course, if you want to hear more, the films we don't get to include. So, for instance, things like London Town, Marauders, and Monster Trucks, and Operation Chroma, you have to download the free podcast edition, which has a load more after the end credits. We basically get to do a whole other section of the show with more film news, more reviews that we couldn't fit into the regular one, and of course, the moment of Gage, which we, we love doing. Yeah, last one of the year. Last one, last, last yeah. moment of Cage this year. Um, and of course, you go on to onscreenfilm.com. It's on there in the off-screen section. You can go on to Acast, you can go on to iTunes, Deezer, TuneIn, pick your podcast. Pa- pick your podcast platform. Pick your blah blah platform, your yep. podcast app of choice. And okay, then. Off-screen is on there. Um, tell me uh, about Silence. I'll have a quick review about. Uh, Martin Scorsese. We've got about four minutes for this. So, okay, okay. so Scorsese's back. The film is about four days long. The four, well, film is yeah. about, yeah, it's about four roughly, days long, yeah. roughly. It is nearly three hours. It is two hours and 39 minutes long. And, uh, right, it's Scorsese, though, so that's kind of par for the yeah. course. So this is uh, based on, it's a Japanese novel, I think it is. Yes. But based on yeah. a Japanese he's, he's novel. He's wanted to make this film for a long time. 30 years, apparently, yeah. he's been trying to get this made. It is finally here, the big, the big Scorsese passion project, the 
closer of his religious trilogy, as you mm. called it earlier, after Last Temptation of Christ and, and Cundon. This stars Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, and Liam Neeson, and there's a brief appearance by Kieran Hines at the very beginning. And this is the story of uh, Portuguese priests in the 17th century, one of whom disappears whilst doing missionary work in Japan, covertly trying to uh, you know, further the cause of Christianity to help his flock, who are living in secrecy in Japan at the time, specifically in Nagasaki. And uh, when he He's Liam Neeson, obviously. He goes missing. They're told uh, he is apostatized, which I, I didn't know the term offhand. Basically, means you've forsaken your your god, as it were. Um, and they decide to basically brave the danger themselves. His two young disciples, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield, and go off to Japan not only to further his cause but also to find out what happened to him as well. We have a clip. Do you know how many Christians the authorities executed at Shimabara? Thousands. Tens of thousands, most of them beheaded. No, it is far too dangerous for you. Yes, but Father, how do we neglect the man that nurtured us in the faith? If he shapes the world for us. And even if the slander should be true, then Father Ferreira is damned. Yes. And we have no choice but to save his soul. This is in your hearts, then, both of you? Yes. It is. Like our first fervor. And I must trust God has put it down. He calls you to a great trial. The moment you set foot in that country, you step into high danger. You will be the last two priests to go. So Kieran Hines there with our would-be heroes of this story. And really, that's about as heroic as it gets, because this is a really, really bleak story. This is like Scorsese's Passion of the Christ. This is one of the most dark-hearted, bleak films you can imagine. It goes into far murkier terrain than you would expect to. I mean, presumably you're looking forward to this. You're a Scorsese fan. Is, I am. Indeed, is this something yeah. you're actually looking forward to? Um, just as much as it being a Martin Scorsese project, more mm. than anything else, more than the actual With Scorsese subject. and Adam Driver. I figured you were in from concept alone. And Liam Neeson as and well. Liam Neeson, it's, yeah. it's Liam Neeson not going after his taken daughter. So that's, just, that's refreshing to see in this year. This is full-blown yeah. thesp Liam Neeson here yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's this full old school thespian Liam Neeson. Oscar Schindler, Moibiano. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the weird thing about this is, first of all, you get you you know it's you know it's going to look amazing. Yeah. You because know, it's Scorsese. It always makes his films just look amazing. Mm. Who who is a, a cinematographer? I, do you know? Yeah. Off, offhand, I can't remember I'm on this have one. Have a look. Um, it's got this haunting score to it. That there's this wonderful combination of uh, sound design of his general atmospheric sound design and a very minimalist score. He's used the sounds of nature to punctuate mm. this this movie, and it's it's really effective. And really wonderful and there's loads of light motifs going all the way through it really impressive production and then the center of it all is andrew garfield who turns up and delivers without doubt the finest performance of his career and his physical transformation over the course of this film is astonishing because he starts out all wide i mean it would be really sort of uh, easy to actually pin this as the religious answer to apocalypse now because it, mm. his his performance goes down that terrain of the apocalypse now route of the 
the uh, the, you know, the the loss of innocence, the, <clears throat> the exposure to the darker sides of humanity, and I really, really bought into it. It is overlong. I mean, you know, nearly three hours. It, 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 there's no question it's overlong. I don't think you could seriously chop an hour out of this. Yeah. And I mean, I, John Hearn told me you could lose twenty minutes. But no, no, you you could lose an hour, hour. easily. <laughs> but you know, it's Scorsese. It's a masterful filmmaker, and you know what? He's on fine form here. Uh, it's not going to be to everyone's taste because it's not got mainstream appeal. This is for the crowd that enjoyed Condon, that enjoyed The Last Temptation of Christ. This is your diehard Scorsese audience here. Uh, this is this is not for people who thought The Departed rocked. And, you know, yeah, I'm like, I want to see Wolf of Wall Street too. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get that here. This is all bleak, all the time, all soulful, all religious. And you know what? I loved the hell out of it, but I did really wish it came with either an intermission or an hour cut out of it. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. Next review, then. Should we do uh, Why do Him? It. Why Him? So this is uh, Brian Cranston and uh, James Franco. I know. Who'd yeah. have thought that was going to be a combination? That's, that's a pairing, but I like the sound of it. Okay, so easy, easy sell this one, because it's basically every dad's worst nightmare, which is, yeah. you know, you, you meet the first boyfriend. You meet the daughter's first boyfriend. Hmm. What's he going to be like? And, of course, yeah. in this case, you know, he goes to visit his his daughter at college for Christmas, and the whole family goes, and he's got the wife, Megan Mullally, his son is uh, Griffin Gluck, and uh, the daughter is Zoe Deutsch. He goes to visit visit the daughter and she takes him she wants him to meet her boyfriend at the same time he turns out to be and she's kept this secret from them for, for reasons to do with his success. He turns out to be this brotastic software billionaire who's designed a load of uh, gaming apps and things like that. I think it's Gorilla Gang or something like that. It's a series of app games. Mm. And, um, of course, he has no filter. He is foul-mouthed. He's kind of unintentionally obnoxious, but he's got kind of a good heart. And before long, he asks Brian Cranston, I need, I want your blessing. I want to marry your daughter. And Brian Cranston's instinctive response is, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, okay, don't say anything. Give me three days. Just give me until, give me Christmas. Let me win you over. And if I win you over, I'll pop the question. If I don't, I will drop it. I won't do it unless I have your blessing. Because he's got quite a good heart. This is a very weird thing about it. And what then follows is James Franco trying to win over Brian Cranston, whilst at the same time you have Brian Cranston trying to sort of edge James Franco out of the equation because he feels like he's losing all of his family to yeah. his wayward his wayward sort of mindset. Yeah, like not, not, not just the daughter. Just not just the, the daughter, but the son suddenly becomes a little bit more rebellious in James Franco's presence. The wife suddenly cuts loose and gets a little more carefree. And you know what? We've got a clip that... This is the two of them bonding when they are suddenly interrupted by James Franco's housekeeper and his very specific method of personal training. So glad we're doing this, Ned. I feel like I know you after everything that Steph's told me about you, but still not the same. Nice work. And your reactions are getting quicker. Wait, so you... You just do this Pink Panther thing? Pink Pink Panther. Pink Panther. The Pink Panther from the Pink Panther movies. When Kato attacks Inspector Clouseau to keep him sharp. That's really old. I I never heard of it. I'm not familiar either, but it sounds absolutely charming. (laughs) Pink Panther. The movies? Mm Mm-hmm. Kato is his assistant. His uh, houseboy. Houseboy. Well, it's a, well, that sounds it's not racist. He did call him my little yellow friend. 
Cranston there. Obviously, this is the age gap there where they don't, they've never they heard just of the Pink Panther. Yeah. There, there is a lot of that, that sort of humour to it, the idea of a generational divide. And this is the thing, because it is an inverted meet the parents. I mean, if you go back a little more classically, as you did, you said it was like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner without the race, racial element. It is meet the parents it's, inverted. It's a generational thing instead of a racial thing. E- exactly. And what you've got is this brilliant millennial zeal to it all that peps it up quite nicely. And you've, at the centre of it all is this brilliant bit of a bit of casting and a, a wonderful bit of chemistry between Brian Cranston and Jane Franco. And Cranston's just doing, you know, the suburban dad, the, the you know, well-intentioned suburban dad thing that he's got down mm. to, you know, just to, to a T now. I mean, even Breaking Bad is arguably that character. Just happens, the whole thing with that is it just goes in a different direction. But um, having James Franco show up to play an exaggerated version of James Franco, with a few notable exclusions from it, is, turns out, leads to some surprisingly impressive results. I did all as well. Um, at the Sancho you have um, a really, really great supporting cast. You have Megan Mullally, you have Griffin Gluck, and you have um, a comedic cast that includes, for instance, the likes of Casey Wilson, um, a guy who plays Elijah from Girls, whose name I can't remember, and you told me earlier. Uh, Andrew Rannells. Thank you. Um, you have Keegan-Michael Key, who you heard in the clip, is always a hoot to see. Doesn't steal it the way you'd expect him to, though, strangely. And uh, Adam Devine turns up. There's cameos that you wouldn't believe. A certain classic rock band does turn up as themselves, and you will genuinely be wondering, is that really them? It is. Spoiler alert, it is. And they left Peter at home, thankfully. But uh, no one wants to be Peter, not even Peter. Anyway, um... The Family Guy reference, you get it. Right, so uh, (laughs) this is the thing. It is funnier than you expect it to be. You do expect it to be yet another, oh, the funny bits are in the trailer, I don't particularly need to see the film, I've seen all the best gags. No, it does have more heart than you think it does. And it draws more humour from its heart than you would expect as well. It is also, surprisingly, especially for these kind of comedies, it gets the youth element right for a change. There are things in there like Netflix and chill, and they are actually used correctly. And you think, good, finally, someone asked a young person about this. Yeah, does uh, anyone say viral? Viral, at any point. Exactly, you know, that kind of thing. And a lot of it works. There's a lot of great humour in there, and uh, this this, uh, this whole thing with the toilet, which I I think is the film's standout gag, has to do with Japanese toilets and certain incidental secondary uses for them. But, uh, yeah, it it did work for me. I mean, the the concept's pretty universal. Like I say, it's every dad's nightmare. You know, when when your daughter brings home the hellion boyfriend. And it plays it really, really well, but it plays it well simply by virtue of, A, being sharp. I mean, it's gleefully foul mouth for one thing um being sharp being witty and having that piece of central casting having that duo and it works for me yeah sounds I, like we got pretty good chemistry i really enjoyed it yeah, yeah. can't wait to see it okay i have some news mm-hmm. right so disney don't know if you're aware about this i'm but, aware of the company disney yeah so yeah. every single uh, animated film we've ever put out yeah over the course of 50 60 years they're all going to be live action i'm, I'm aware of this pattern yeah, yeah. Which, which one is it is it the aristocats no but i'm i'm Praying that we'll get a Basil the Great Mouse Detective anytime soon. <laughs> Live action rescuers. That's happening any day now. How would that even work? You'd have to get John Favreau. Like any, any <laughs> film where it's primarily just about the animals, you get John Favreau. You get, you get Johnny Favreau. You get Johnny Favreau. Yeah. Johnny Favreau's doing like Lion King, is it? He is doing Lion King. Yeah, He's yeah. still attached to do um, a sequel to the Jungle Book. But, oh, of course um, he is. Yeah, still in that one. So this news uh, is about um, uh, Cruella. Oh, yes. So this is uh, the origin story of, uh, of Cruella de Vil. Isn't, this is Emma Stone, isn't Emma it? Emma Stone is going to be Cruella de Vil. The, the origin story of Cruella de Vil. What, what happened? Did she get... Uh, that's it. She got kicked out by her puppy store-owning father when she was younger. 
That's going to be it, isn't it? I wouldn't put it past them. That, that could potentially <laughs> be it. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big fan of these, uh, like these origin tales that tell you how a bad guy became a bad guy. Like a family home got repossessed, knocked down, and a pet store got put there instead. Okay, so Van actually isn't writing a screenplay. The screenplay is going to be written uh, by um, uh, Kelly Marcel, who did uh, Seven Mr. Banks. But the news and Fifty is, Shades of Grey, funnily enough. I hate that you know that. I hate you. I, I know that. I know that it's your job, but I hate you know that. <laughs> uh, the, the news about this is mm-hmm. that uh, they've got a director. Yes, who is yeah. this? This was some, it's a Broadway guy, isn't a it? A Broadway guy who's never made a film for. His name is Alex Timbers. Yeah. Um, we might know him because uh, he created a show called Mozart in the Jungle. Yes, the which is, uh, uh, Amazon show. Is that guy El Garcia? Banal. Yeah. It is indeed, yeah. Which you know, I've, I've started watching. I've seen a few episodes. I never like watched it. it, isn't it? It's like third season. It's just started season three, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll give it a watch. But uh, yeah, this is going to be his uh, his first film. Well, so, yeah. Give start. it a go. But I think someone from Broadway, you need those kind of sensibilities yeah. for somebody a little bit theatrical like Coella. Well, that's why Rob Marshall's getting all the work that he is. Cause well, he's, he he's has... doing Mary Poppins Returns. He is, film, yeah. yeah. And he did rather tragically do that Pirates of the Caribbean one. But... He also did Into the Woods, which is a far better musical than it is a film. He, well, yeah, I don't, I don't dispute that. I think I said that when I reviewed it. I think it would have to I think be. so, yeah. yeah. But, uh, okay, so let's do a quick review then of Passengers. Yeah, so this is uh, Fit People in Space. Fit we... People in Space, yeah. um, otherwise known as, oh no, I'm condemned to a life of having sex with Chris Pratt, which I'm sure a lot of women would just say, no, no, that sounds awful. No. And men as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, he, he is a lot of guys' man crush. That's yeah. the thing, yeah. I think he's overtaken Tom Hardy in that regard. I think it's between Chris Pratt and Tom Hardy. So I never, I never had a guy crush on Tom Hardy, but I would just like to buy him a bottle of fine scotch. Uh, he's, as like he a seems gentlemanly... Like, yeah. Yeah, he seems are. like a man who'd, who'd be good, good Scotch company. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, so <laughs> this is Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence in space. <laughs> Pratt in space. Exactly. You know yeah. that's going to be the honest trailer title, don't you? Oh, definitely. That, that's totally going to be it. So uh, the plot is Chris Pratt wakes up in the middle of a 125-year journey from Earth to a remote colony. The idea is that 5,000 passengers on this ship are kept in stasis for the duration of the journey. Um, he wakes up early. He realises he's going to be dead long before they reach their destination, and decide after a year of being on his own and only having a robotic bartender to talk to, he decides to do what anyone in his position would do, which is wake up another passenger, because why not? He can't really die alone. It's just that that's his own personal hell. And he wakes up Jennifer Lawrence, whom he immediately concocts this masquerade of, you know what? She accidentally woke up as well. I accidentally woke up. So did you. It just happened to be a year apart. And the two, of course, fall in love. And before long, this things start to go wrong with the ship. And the pair have this, this crushing weight of, can we repair this? You know, and, and even if we do, aren't we just going to die alone out here anyway? In the meanwhile as well, they have the lingering suspicions on her end that something is not quite right with his story. And, uh, well, we have a clip. Anybody? Hello. Hi. Are you passenger or crew? Passenger. Jim Preston. Aurora Lane. Do you know what's going on? Nobody else from my row woke up. Same for me. The crew's supposed to wake up a month before we do, but I haven't seen anybody. The crew is still asleep. Are you saying nobody's awake? Just me. Just you? It's just us. But somebody's got to land the ship in a few weeks. We will arrive in approximately 89 years. 89 years? The other passengers aren't late waking up. We were early. 
Chris Pratt there with Jennifer Lawrence, und- kind of explaining the situation. Now, the weird thing about this, I mean, obviously the trailer markets in an entirely different way, but this is the plot. This is the plot that was revealed years ago when it was on the blacklist. This mm. was the synopsis of it. It made it more of a Twilight Zone-sounding piece. And then the trailer seems to be playing it as this sort of romantic mystery. Um, it isn't quite a romantic mystery. It's more the Twilight Zone piece. It is more Pratt's film than it is Jennifer Lawrence's. Although, let's be honest, this is the movie that Rob Lowe pitches in Thank You for Smoking. This is It definitely yeah. sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Even down to the fact that that movie was a Sony movie in Thank You for Smoking. Yes, but so is this. Yeah. What a I think I said to you uh, that Emma, um, not Emma, uh, Emma oh, uh, Julia, Julia Roberts. I yeah. almost said Emma Roberts, uh, uh, Julia Roberts film that she stars in, in Notting Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Um, so, first of all, I liked this very much. I liked it far more because there was some negative word of mouth in the days leading up to it. Um, I didn't get that at all. For me, it was this kind of uh, cookie cutter, likable bit of sci-fi. It has the look of Oblivion by way of Lost, uh, the Lost in Space remake, if mm. you can imagine that. So, imagine the, the the cinematic style of Oblivion taking place on the set of the Lost in Space remake. You're kind of there. Cool. Um, the out the, the exterior sci-fi stuff. Looks looks very sunshine for instance it looks very yeah. much like sunshine even down to the design of the ship kind of looks like sunshine except there's not an enormous dish on the top of it um that's it i mean i was entertained i was enthralled by it the thomas newman score does work for me oh, thomas newman though exactly it's incredible and then the center of it all you have these two movie stars and they are movie stars and the whole film serves to just remind you exactly why they are in, in a day and age where we we are really lacking st- genuine star talent now and we're getting a lot more character actors than we are stars these two are stars and it's and i'm usually quite hard on jennifer lawrence and yet i found her really likable in this even though as you pointed out she has the most made-up character name ever, which is what Aurora Lane. Aurora is? Lane. Aurora Lane. He's he's Jim Jim Parsons. Jim Preston. Preston. Yeah. Jim Parsons. Isn't Jim Parsons is, is, uh, the Yeah. <laughs> Jim Preston. Um, no, loved it. There's a lot of of uh, sort of, of of clever humor in it as regards the bureaucracy of of human life and. The technology of it is is insanely on the on point and strangely topical at the same time. And then you have Michael Sheen, who hasn't given up acting playing just yet. He's playing a robot. That is so. actually false. Is that false? He's not yeah. doing about Um He's going to step away from a little bit to do uh, some Politics. activism. Yeah, activism, uh, but yeah. he 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 had to like go on Twitter, sort of clarify mm. situation. He's just going to sort of take a back seat for a little bit. He will return. <laughs> I'll just be on robot mode for a while. Yeah, um, yeah he is. I, I actually found him kind of the standout character in this, but yeah. there's some great stuff in there. There is uh, an action set piece involving zero gravity that really, really manages to terrify and work on a suspenseful level. Um, for me, I'd call it a win. I really would. It's like, cool. I am legend in space on the set of lost, uh, on the set of lost in space, sh- shot in the style of oblivion. What, what could possibly go wrong with that? With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. Where to now, Mr. Allen? Let's go to the wonderful world of Will Smith being sad. Oh no, I've been dreading this. It is time. And I am so excited. I'm dreading this. Okay, Collateral Beauty is latest from David Frankel. What did David Frankel direct, by the way? Because I've forgotten. Marley and Me. Marley and Me. Okay, that kind of makes sense now that I'm told that. Right, this this is another one, like Passengers, where the script was on the blacklist, the best list of Mm. of unproduced screenplays a couple of years ago. And I can imagine on paper this sounds like a real slam dunk. In execution, it is anything but. Will Smith is a formerly top-of-his-game advertising exec named Howard Inlet. Yes, Will Smith is playing a man named Howard, which is odd, but okay. Yeah, that's like Denzel playing somebody called Keith. 
Exactly, yeah, it kind of is. Or like Anthony Mackie plays Clive. You know, it just doesn't (laughs) quite work. Um, Basically, his child, his six-year-old daughter has died several years prior to the beginning of the film. He is not quite over it. Three years later, he's back at his job. He's in what his co-workers describe as a zombie-like state. And because he's not attending to his his work duties as the senior partner of his uh, his ad firm, his three colleagues decide they want to pursue a, a, a corporate buyout and in order to get the con- they, know, they know they're not going to get the consent yeah. from Will Smith to have to have this company bought out because he's not in he's not in the he's right state not he's yeah. not in the mentally right state. He's not there. yeah he's mentally not there he's kind of checked out he's grieving you know give the man some space but no you see these are his friends and as we're told constantly they love him by the way everything I'm going to tell you comes from the first 20 minutes of the film so I'm not ruining anything but they keep telling us they love him they only want the best for him so as your best friends tend to do <laughs> they hire a private investigators look into him and quickly discover that he's been writing rhetorical letters to the constructs of love death and time the the pi discovers right. this yep. by breaking into a mailbox by genuinely going up to a new york city post box that he's just used and break sealing a key and breaking into it what sorry, sorry say again who who breaks in the pi the, right the pi who plays the pi by the way I, do you know i forget it's like a tv actress um look look it up but um but she she then hands the letters to the three friends who decide, because they love him, they're going to hire three actors. That's the theme, isn't it? Because they love him. I'm going to keep reiterating this. Because they love him, they're going to hire three actors. Each one's going to, one of them's going to play love, the other one time, another one death, to appear to him, make him think they're a vision of the actual construct, interact with him, and in the, in the spirit of the letters, which they now have, and the PI is going to film them on an iPhone, give them the footage. They're going to use computer effects to remove the actor from the equation. So it looks like Will Smith is talking to no one, and then they're going to take it to the board of directors have him rendered incompetent and sell the company out from under him because they love him him. because they love him yeah Yeah. they're Um, best friends they're best friends because that that's what friends do so here's a clip so rapid fire round while i got you cabs are in town christmas showdown at the garden i never give your seat away i just go solo but we could go don't even have to talk don't even have to look at each other we could do just what we're doing right now and just watch the game be like old times Right, number two, we're going to lose the Danworth account because that's always been your relationship and they're not feeling the love as you might imagine. So that's going to happen. Whatever, though, because we've got an offer from Omnicom and it's real. 17 bucks a share. Please consider it because, yeah, yeah. Because they leave total creative control and they let everybody keep their jobs, which I know you care about because you love these people. Good talk. Ed Norton there with Mr. Yeah. Smith. So, right, the three friends, by the way, are Kate Winslet, Michael Peña, Edward Norton. Great. The three Fantastic act- actors. Yep, the three actors, yep. Jacob Lattimore, Helen Mirren, Kira Knightley. Don't know anything about Jacob Lattimore, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, good actors, yeah. good cast. Yeah, yeah. Naomi Harris turns up as well. Oh, and, she's and, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Money Penny. What, oh. what could possibly go wrong with this? Except everything. Its story is rotten to the core. This is the most morally bankrupt, yeah, heart-wrenchingly horrible and nasty <laughs> film I've 
I've seen in some. This, I mean, it's one of the year's genuine turkeys. Yeah. This is misguided to the degree that it makes uh, was it a New York Winter's Tale, which Will Smith incidentally appeared in. Yeah, yeah, he has a cameo. Makes in that it. look accomplished. What were you going to tell me that was amusing? You I was going to say that I've uh, just gone to uh, uh, on Tomatoes. Yeah, and see the see the critic score. What what is it? Fourteen percent. Fourteen percent. I can tell you that that is generous, and that 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 fourteen percent presumably it's like yeah. we well, you know when you take a test and you just write your name, you get two percent for writing your name. Yeah. It's kind of like that. You, you put the correct date. Yeah. If, as, long as, as long as you've managed to assemble a correctly aligned yeah. series of end credits, you've gotten 14%. Yeah, you've, you've not written within the margin this far. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, right, so Will Smith basically seems to be in a coma. Um, Helen Mirren, for some reason, has gone to that raspy hamming it up thing that she does. Mm. Kira Knightley just seems to be meandering in that meh phase that she used to do in the early noughties. Um, you've got Edward Norton. Who Remember when he tried, was trying to get out of that... He was trying to get out of his contract for the Italian job? I do remember that, right. yeah. And, and they, they basically took legal action against him and he had to star in it so his solution was you know what I'm going to play it as a moustache twirling panto villain and yeah, he literally to varying degrees of success he literally grew a moustache for yeah. it that's it I'm <laughs> going to grow a moustache that I'm literally going to twirl right that looks like it took genuine effort compared to this when he simply can't bother Kate Winslet's trying but the material just yeah. isn't there what about and, uh, Michael Pena and Michael Pena you just sort of thinking wow Boy, did you get sottled with a turkey here. Just my God. And the less said about Naomi Harris, the better. Because, wow. I've, I've heard that she's in maybe two scenes. Uh, actually, I think generously it might be three or four. Right. Yeah. But but not, not a lot. Not a lot. Not an awful not a lot, screen no. Time. I mean, this is a film about one character and his grief that somehow has to involve eight characters that doesn't feature that central character much for the first 40 minutes. It takes 40 wow. minutes to lay out this part. And you start thinking, I can synopsize it in 90 seconds. Yeah. Why I'm really surprised that Will Smith did this. But it's, right. it's that thing, isn't it? It's, it's seven pounds. It's, it's so half-hearted. You could, yeah. you could generously call it three and a half pounds. You could, yeah. And yeah. on paper... It sounds quite Oscar baity. It is like being force-fed 96 minutes of artificially sweetened vomit. It is just awful. As I say, it's morally deplorable. It is psychologically bankrupt. It is ethically questionable at best. And then at the end of it all, it somehow tries to have its cake and eat it. It tries to... It it doesn't even have the conviction to lean into the fact Mm. that it's a nasty film. Yeah. You you told me the big twist, which we're not going to say on air, because just experience it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, um, oh man! If you genuinely want to question how Will Smith was ever a bankable star, go and see this film and mm. and just wonder to yourself. Yeah, just just genuinely wonder. I bet we are going to get that Deadshot movie just like tomorrow. Oh, now, aren't oh, we? Oh, that, that, believe it. There's a moment in this film which he and Kira Knightley are walking down the street, and there is a frankly massive piece of product placement for Batman Superman. Is it really? There really is. There's this is the thing. It's it's one of those films as well where they've not bothered to put any any attention to detail into any of the background yeah. stuff. So. For instance, you see Kate Beckinsale at a computer, for instance. She sat in front of a glass a glass wall. So everything is reflected in the glass wall, and the computer's not even switched on. It's one of those films. You know, she's typing away. There's no there's no screen glare. Yeah. Um, there's a point in which you see, I think it's Edward Norton's watching an episode of Without a Trace. Remember Without a Trace? <laughs> yeah. He's watching Without a Trace. When and is this film set? <laughs> I don't know. And he turns around and he says, oh, there's a CSI. It's just like a rerun. That's it. Yeah. But he, he turns around and says, oh, there's a CSI Cleveland now? And you're like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense, because that's without a trace. And also, there's no CSI anymore, so, okay. Um, It is one of those films that you just... I can't believe... Nothing about this has had any effort in it, bar the fact that, you know what, it looks nice and bright and colourful. 
So yeah, like he can he can shoot film. I'll I'll just quickly tell you the other films that he's made. So um, uh, Molly and Me, Vomit Inducing, yeah. Uh, the Big Year. Do you remember about Steve Martin? Vomit Inducing, yeah. Yep. Um, I didn't mind this next one. Uh, Hope Springs. Oh, is that the Tommy Lee Jones thing? Yeah, that was Mel fine. Street. That was it's fine. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. okay. And he's done yeah. some episodes of Entourage, uh, Sex and City. <laughs> Um, right, two episodes of Band of Brothers, which Honest, kind of honestly, and n- I'm not exaggerating. Entourage looks like Oscar caliber entertainment at the side of this. This is yeah. nauseating bilge. I'm not kidding. Collateral Damage, as everyone kept accidentally calling it on the day, is a better movie than this. Yeah. On which note, can we just finish the top ten? Get it done. I think we need to. Number five. Office Christmas party, which is fine. Nuts and bolts, you know. Everyone's do. Everyone's playing their part. Yeah, literally it's, playing it's, their part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, T.J. Miller's the slacker one. J- Jennifer Aniston's the the mean one, and Jason Bateman's the every man the. He's, he's the Jason Bateman one. He's yeah. He's the Jason he's Bateman. The Jason type. Bateman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you know what? You're gonna laugh. You won't laugh as hard as you want to, or as often as you mm. want to, but you'll laugh. Number four, Jake Sully, Miracle on the Hudson. Jake Sully <laughs> That's a crossover <laughs> Oh man <laughs> In, in um, full like Navi y- Yeah program. exactly yeah. Uh, I liked it But it is it is kind of An over glamorised TV movie I mean it's, it's nicely directed By Clint Eastwood But you kind of wonder Like there's no Cinematic scope in this It doesn't feel like There's the material there For a, for a, a narrative feature There's a documentary As you've pointed out But I don't think there's a feature, despite the fact that both Tom Hanks and uh, Aaron Eckhart, I think, are very good in it. Number three. Put that thing back where it came from, also help me. (laughs) Exactly that. Or goosebumps in the Harry Potter dimension. Yeah. Um, This is the thing. I mean, it's a fantastic beast. It's it's what you think it's going to be. It's a franchise launcher. It is a franchise launcher. That's it. Yeah. Through and through. I mean, it it does what it needs to do in the way that uh, Philosopher's Stone, not Sorcerer's Stone, did. (laughs) Didn't you love it, by the way? The Philosopher's Stone was a plot point on The Flash recently. And it's Tom (gasps) Felton. I was going to text you that. I was going to text you. And and he says it and everything. Tom Felton talking Draco Malfoy talking about the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, I was watching it by myself and I just, I need needed somebody else so I could be like, hey. That's why we have WhatsApp, man. That's it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, no, I I liked Fantastic Beasts, but I didn't love it. I mean, I think the Harry Potter fans are going to love it, definitely. It's it's right there, Alan. Yeah, there's there's some good performances. I just, I like that it's set in York, and it's good to see that other side of the world. There's enough different to it, I think. There's enough going for it that's different. Yeah. But, uh, and there's another film coming up that's a spin-off that it Mm. does something different, but uh, in the meanwhile... Number two. Moana. Which I liked, you liked as well. You said it was was more Pocahontas than Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, um, I I keep going back to it. I've only seen it the one time, mm-hmm. but I have now been listening to the songs and stuff, and yeah. I wasn't listening to the songs prior to seeing the film. <laughs> okay. I was kind of saving myself. And I I like it more than Frozen. You like it more than Frozen? Yeah, definitely, because I, I like Frozen, absolutely. I don't have it on this... Like, this pedestal. This, this Frozen pedestal. What? I'm going to fight you. Okay. I'm a, I'm a fight you, man. What is so great about Frozen, <laughs> apart from really catchy songs? Did, did you not just, like, burst inside when you saw Frozen? Really? No. no. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, but, uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe I've I've got a heart of ice. I don't <laughs> know. You probably Maybe I, I am Elsa. <laughs> but, uh, no, on, on with Moana. I mean, Dwayne Johnson, I think, a, a great addition to the Disney pantheon. I think... Uh, <sighs> Caravallo, I can't remember her first name. I can never remember her first name. Uh, Asmoana is great, though. Jermaine yep. Clement, your man. Your man Jermaine there. Yes, uh, shows up for one scene. Absolutely steals owns it. it. Uh, there's an amazing chicken character. There is hey, an amazing hey. chicken. And uh, not, not not surprisingly little made of the pig sidekick, which I expected to be the yeah, cutesy animal. Yeah, a lot animal. of people have said that, but yeah. I'm kind of fine that they kind of subvert it and the chicken, who is played by Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, are it's kids going to love this? Hmm? Do you think kids are going to love this? 
Um, I, I don't Which care. Number, number two. I liked it. Number two, so I imagine they have. Yeah. But uh, I think we know what the adults are loving. Number one. Wagwan. Yeah, I mean, wow. Star Wars Wagwan. <laughs> well, have you seen there's a meme uh, Rouge one where everyone's just made up in makeup <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Um, I loved it. I absolutely loved this one. And the weird thing is, the more time passes, I, I look back on it even more fondly. It's a film that the more yeah, it sits it's, with it's you... it's definitely yeah, stuck with me. The more impressive it becomes, the more it sits with you. I mean, yeah. it's so weird. I went back and saw it in 4DX. That third act will borderline paralyse you. It is so brutal. Yeah. Just, um, just watching it. Oh, man, Not even being is. flung around a cinema screen. I love the performances. Yeah. I love the writing. I love the the very gorilla style in which it's shot. I love the Dirty Dozen in space concept. I love the fact that it out Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah, it does. I love the fact that it takes the dumbest part of the of of New Hope and actually does something, makes it actually better in hindsight. Yeah, it has retconned what a lot of people said was a plot hole. It's made it New Hope a better hole. film. Yeah. How how does that happen? The next time I see Rogue One, my my second time, I'm going to watch New Hope straight, straight afterwards. After. Straight I, I think after. I would as well because yeah. the, it kind of complements it in this way. You think, wow, it's given me a whole new respect and a whole new level for of pathos done, yeah. for New Hope. And I and think with a, a, a franchise as beloved as Star Wars, yeah. there's no higher compliment. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the On Screen Radio Show. And we're back and dancing. you got to love that needle bomb, huh? That's a disco yeah. classic. An unappreciated disco classic, though. But, uh, so, let's uh, final film review of the week. I am um, so excited for this. I, I can imagine you are, because this is your boy, uh, is it Juan Antonio Bayona? Yes. J.A. Bayona, who's yeah. doing uh, Jurassic World 2, isn't he now? Yeah, he did uh, The Impossible. And, the uh, Possimpable. Yep. Yeah. The Possimpable. And, uh, of course, orphanage. that was it, The Orphanage. Uh, and that's what We always really... say Orphan, don't we? We always confuse the two, the two guys. <laughs> I rewatched Orphan recently. Creepy as hell. Um, <laughs> so this is, the weird thing is, The Orphanage is the thing that this most references. This is, say, this is um, based on, oh, what's his name? Patrick... Oh, it comes to me. Uh, found out who wrote the screenwriter is also the author of the original book. Oh, really? I'll go and look. And uh, so it's based on a book, which evidently was was quite a popular ch- uh, young adult classic. Yeah. This is the story of a a young boy, single parent family. His mother is Felicity Jones. She is struggling with uh, with cancer. She's basically in a really bad physical state, and he is her only support mechanism. There is a mother. That, there is a mother though. There's a grandmother. Her mother, played by uh, Sigourney Weaver. This is set in. So it's never clarified whether or not it's Ireland or England because the accents vary mm. between the two. Um, much like Liam Neeson. Much like Liam yeah. Neeson, who turns up, would you believe, one night as a tree. A tree <laughs> literally comes to life, breaks breaks off the wall of this kid's bedroom and says, I am going to tell you three stories over three nights. And then on the fourth night, you are going to tell me a story, the story of your worst nightmare. And you can immediately see how this became a, a classic novel in a sense um we have a clip and just just brace yourself because this movie's a rancher now i've come to tell you the second tale is it as bad as the last one it ends with proper destruction if that's what you mean it's about a man who thought only of himself a man who wasn't as generous as he should have been a man who gets punished very badly indeed (laughs) stories aren't real though they don't help anything. Stories are wild creatures, Connor O'Malley. When you let them loose, who knows what havoc they may wreak. Oh, yes. Okay. Go on, then. Go on, then. Tell me a story. Uh, right, so the kid is uh, Lewis McDougall. Yeah, uh, we've actually seen him before. In we film, we have we? encountered him in the past. He was, of yeah, course, none we other... We know his work. We, we, of course, none other than... Uh, Nim- 
Gypsy! <laughs> in Pan. That was the only thing you and I took away from that film. Yeah, Pan is terrible, but Nibsy. Nibsy owned that. Nibsy owned it, totally, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Lewis McDougall is fantastic mm. in this. Wow, what a performance. Did not know he had this in him. Um, Sigourney Weaver struggles with the accent, but she's got the heart and soul, so it, it works. And then there's Felicity Jones, who's just going to gr- tug at your heartstrings and then just try and break your heart apart entirely. She, I mean, because I saw this and Rogue One within 48 hours. Yeah, um, I bet you were really loving uh, Felicity Jones by the end of her. Do you know what? She is such an underrated yeah. She's amazing, this actress. Um, then, of course, you've got Liam Neeson as what can only be described as the evil Groot. And, uh, <laughs> and it really works, but it all comes together because Patrick Ness, as you've just told me, uh, who wrote the, the novel, has also written the screenplay for this. He knows what works. He knows how to make it uh, incredibly uh, cathartic, how to make it touching, how to really make this work. And it goes into a really terrifying childhood terrain. This plays on childhood nightmares in a big way. Um, but actually, this is the weird thing, I don't know if you know this about this. Um, the, the actual stories the monster tells are animated. But they're, I've heard an- that, yeah. they're animated in the style of watercolour paintings. Oh, and they are stunning. Yeah. They are absolutely just jaw-droppingly beautiful. But then you come back to the real world stuff and you know, Bayona's in full orphanage mode and he's playing the whole you know that sort of rustic, you know, British countryside horror aesthetic. And when you've got the director of the orphanage doing that, boy are you in for a good time. This is tremendous. This is one of the standout films of the year. We couldn't give this film of the year, incidentally, because yeah. it, we couldn't put it in the top ten, I mean. Because New Year's Day because out. it comes out New Year's yeah, Day. But it, so. it was, it was on our list like right up until like eleven hours. So. We seriously argued about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was gonna make the list, but no, no, it's not out until January 1st, so we should actually uh, clarify, by the way, the release dates for everything we've reviewed th- so far. Mm, yeah. So Silence is out on, on, on New, New Year's New Day. Year's Day. Yep. Silence is out on New Year's Day. Why Him is out on Boxing Day. Day. Crossroad Beauty is also out on Boxing Day. Yeah. Passengers is out Wednesday the 21st, yes. um, and Monster Calls, obviously, is New Year's Day. Now, of the other films we've yet to review, Marauders is out Boxing Day, uh, London Town is out Boxing Day, Operation Chromite is Boxing Day, and Monster Trucks is Boxing Day. Boxing Day. Day. But we can't talk about that until 12.01 on Boxing Day when we have to refresh the podcast uh, yeah. feed. So, yeah, so this is all going to be fun. Um, I'm going to give Film of the Week to uh, A Monster Calls. It's, it's yeah. so good. Well, you it almost is. give it, like, Film of the Year. So <laughs> I'm not shocked about that. I, I don't think I was going to give it Film of the Year. I was going to put it in the top be five. Up there. I was going to be in the top five, I think. Oh, in fact, didn't we settle on seven? I think it was going to be seven. It was seven something. Was seven. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it is so good. Do see this. It is really something. Passengers is your popcorn flick of the week to be yeah fair. do you know what it sounds like we've got some good stuff to tide us over Christmas yeah they are ending like. the year yeah. the, the year is ending on a relative high but Passengers is your popcorn flick that's your date movie yeah. Monster Calls is that's the big you know pathos yeah. pathos packed if, if you're going movie. on a first date go see Passengers if you're comfortable crying in front of someone go see Monster Calls <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you want to if you want to bitch about Will Smith go see Clara <laughs> exactly if you want to hate your life if you want to go home and burn your copy of Bad Boys go and see Collateral <laughs> <laughs> I don't want Bad Boys 3. <laughs> no one wants Bad Boys 3 now, Will. You have burned up your currency. Suicide Squad is not the worst thing you've done this year now. So, wow. Thanks for that, Will. So, yeah, that's it. There's nothing to come next week.
week. No new films. No, we are, just, just Christmas. Just Christmas. We Christmas are, though, going to be putting out a show because we are going to be putting out the top ten of the year. So we have we have that to look forward well, we, to. We filmed it in the past. It was going to be like... We filmed it. Yeah, it's, like, it's like ghosts. <laughs> exactly. We took we took into account all the films that we would we could consider for this year. Yeah. And it's in there. There's some honourable mentions as well. There's our worst of the year list. There's our in memoriam section. We've got all this to look forward to uh, next week off screen on our top ten of the year. Or our, our review of 2016, whatever you want to call it. But uh, that's to come, and that will be off. Oh, that's radio and podcast, and podcast is extended as usual. But uh, yeah, so that's that's it really. This has been the Candy Store for on screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been as always Case Allen, and we'll be back in well, we're back next week, but not really. So yeah, in we're but we're, we're back. We'll, we'll see you. We'll see you. Yeah. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, then, sir. So, where do we begin this one? It's our final podcast extras of the year. I know. So. Well, just because it is, then I will start off with some news that I know that you are pretty excited about. Oh, go on. So, first of all, uh, we didn't think we we're going to be getting a sequel to uh, Pacific Rim. No, we didn't for the longest time. Although, yeah. it did make all the money in China. So, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the sequel will be set pretty much just in China. Well, the first one was. We tend to forget oh, that. We yeah. tend to forget that the first movie is set in Hong Kong. Yeah. We, we just forget. It's just. I think it's just because just, Ron Pillman lives there. We tend to just. I assume, guess so. Yeah. Yeah. For, but he has a very like oriental name, doesn't he? It does. Yeah. yeah. Hannibal Chow. <laughs> Was it named for my favourite dictator and my favourite Szechuan uh, restaurant in Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah. Which that, is incredible. It, it really yeah. is. And he's now. This is the thing. We were told he was going back for the sequel, but that's not been confirmed yet. I I think he probably will be. But it's got to be set years later. Oh, it's can, got. Can you to imagine be. if if he's just like right over the back of a giant cage, <laughs> <laughs> brandishing the shoe? That he, yeah, he's all formidable. Kaiju comes in wearing a saddle and Ron Pillman. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> oh, all over that. So stuff. what's our Pacific Rim news then? Okay, the news is it's got a new title. Oh yeah, because it was going to be Pacific Rim Maelstrom, wasn't it? Because John Boyega tweeted a picture of the script. Yes, with that yes, on the did. cover. Yeah. yeah, so that was obviously just like a working title. And now mm. that it's a little bit more, uh, yeah, in development. Settle. In development, that's worth. Thank you very much. It's going to be called the Pacific Rim Uprising. Uprising. Yeah, I think I prefer the first one. I prefer the Milestone. first one. Yeah, it's yeah. more, it's more unique, isn't it? It's more comic booky in a weird way. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah. absolutely. But um, yeah. just on on a similar kind of theme, and mm-hmm. it's the same studio as well. Uh, the sequel uh, to uh, to Godzilla. That was also oh, good that, title. That's got a title. Yeah, and I really like this title. Go on. It's going to be Godzilla. King of Monsters. I like it. That's Go cool. on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. King Scales. I yeah. like it. But um, it's it's based on uh, one of the first uh, first ever Godzilla. Yeah, it looks like it's a title that's been yeah. used before. Isn't it was it? called uh, Godzilla: The King of the Monsters. Oh, it's just Godzilla. Uh, King so, of so Monsters. So they fast and furious it. Absolutely. But uh, in terms of that one, um, that is definitely coming. Uh, um, got release date for March twenty second, day after my birthday, uh, two thousand nineteen. Nice. Yeah. Um, on the subject of title changes, by the way. I'm very sad to have to tell you that apparently in the UK... I know what you're going to say. We, we, are, we are not going to be getting the fate of the Furious. We're just getting Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious 8. Why? What's wrong with people? Yeah. Why can't we have nice things? I know. I'm, I'm still going to call it Fate of the Furious. I know. It's, yeah. it's the Fate of the Furious. My, I... I'm sure that that's only happened because people just went on Twitter and were just like, <laughs> what are you doing? 
just only British people that couldn't. Just really logical. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, British yeah. people don't have a concept of fate. That's why they voted leave. Um, <laughs> no. We're just like, this is it. This is our last year. That's, that's We're what done. it is. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so fast and furious. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I don't like Uprising as the Pacific Rim title. I like. No, it just one. seems a bit generic, doesn't it? Does, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's a good thing, but it's not like a standard like R title, like a <laughs> resurgence, <laughs> retaliation, uh, rebellion. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Re- what I mean? Revengeance. Revengeance. <laughs> yeah, resurgence. And yeah. Yeah. But oh, the apocalypse God. is going to be revenged. <laughs> Let's talk about Marauders real quick then. Yeah, so um, uh, this is uh, your man, this Bruce. Is, this is Bruce, a million bucks a day, Willis. And oh, uh, that just. He that, that is. I tell sad. you what, he's living up to that because if he did like three days' work on this, I'd be shocked. Yeah. Did um, he just do it through Skype? No. Yeah, I, I, FaceTime. You know I, FaceTime I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know the yeah. you know that te- you know that CGI technology that we're not allowed to go into too much detail about in Rogue One. But we can talk about uh, Civil War because it's been yeah, long yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. I, I think yeah. they are just going to start mocapping him into films at some point. Um, I mean, then I'll have to work with less people. So yeah, I, think, that's true, I don't think there's going to be any complaints about that. So this is the latest from director Stephen C. Miller, who brought what, what us, do we know of his work? Well, he brought us that film Extraction a few months ago. Do you remember the one with uh, Kellen Lutz and Bruce Willis? Yes, have we got something of a working partnership? They've got something of a working partnership. And, uh, well, brace yourself, because one of the stars of this is also going to turn up in Stephen C. Miller's next film with Sir Nicholas of Cage. And we, ju- we just watched the trailer for it. We just watched the trailer. We are wow, in for a just, treat. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Stephen C. Miller, ba- basically competent Elmer, decent little uh, action director, but he does tend to do what they now refer to as EST material. What does that stand for? EST is electronic sell-through. It's what we used to call VOD, or straight-to-DVD, or STD. STV, yeah. ST, I think it was. <laughs> STV. I know Nick Cage is like hard up for film work. <laughs> I'm filming an STD today. Yeah, but yeah. That, it, it seems to be where people like Nick Cage, sadly, and where John Cusack mm-hmm. tend to reside. Now. Right, so this, uh, th- this... And also then, Bruce Willis. The lead in this film is actually Christopher Maloney. You know, from... Uh, he was in Man of Steel, remember? Yeah, he's in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, and yeah. What's, he, what's the procedural that he's in? Oh, Law oh, and Order. He was in Law and Order. Yeah, yeah, one of the Law and Orders. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You can't ever say Law and Order without following up with that. Yeah. And, uh, well, you see, he's the lead here. He's the FBI uh, agent in charge of investigating a series of elaborate and very professionally executed bank robberies across the city of Cincinnati. Because, you know, presumably there was a tax break going for Cincinnati that week. And you know this thing that movies are now filming in Cleveland for no reason other than tax yeah. breaks and things yeah. like that. This is Cincinnati this week. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he takes under his wing a new FBI recruit played by Adrian Grenier from Entourage, a.k.a. Vincent Chase. And boy, is he becoming the Vincent Chase of direct-to-DVD material. Um, he's also got a, a sort of rogue love partner played by wouldn't you know it dave batista drax and the yeah. three start investigating these robbies which all seem to point to the owner of the banks himself uh played by bruce willis who's in full squinty-eyed whisper threat mode you know that thing that he does that uh, you don't know what you're dealing with kind of mode yeah that yeah was, that was pretty good was that pretty good That's all of your uh, keanu reeves yeah. oh well yeah. thank you because after john well. wick trailer I'm, I'm doing the the reeves i'm, I'm sharpening my reeves impression sharpening your reeves i'm gonna kill them all <laughs> <You know? laughs> so you need to get your gun point it up in the air because you can't shoot <laughs> patrick's <Patrick's> crazy <laughs> ah! 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know they're investigators, but there's something more to these robberies, and it seems to tie into the fate of a dead soldier mm. and a mission overseas that went wrong. Now we don't have a clip for this one because we frankly couldn't find one that wasn't littered with profanity that we couldn't edit out. There was simply too much of it, and that's just Bruce Willis shouting at the crew. Yeah, and that's just that's just yep. Bruce Willis's contract negotiations. Oh yeah, and <laughs> right. So the, the gist with this one is, is it's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's just it's overly convoluted. Yeah, I guess you've seen you've, it all before. You've you know. seen worse, like VODs, and Bruce yeah. Willis did worse than this with Extraction. Yeah, but you know that did at least have the gormless charm of Kellen Lutz, the man who's always just visibly happy to be in a film. Uh, Bruce Willis <laughs> just always seems like he simply can't be asked, and that yeah. stays true here. He really, really cannot be bothered. Um, there's, there is this this monologue about a spider on a window that you just sit and think that that presumably is what he thinks the meat of this story is. Um, Adrian Grenier is, is just terrible. Um, you've also got Jonathan Skeech, who is also turning up in Stephen C. Miller's Arsenal, the next one, with Adrian Grenier. And he's, he, remember when he was like, he was, he was your edgier Matt Dillon in the 90s? Yeah. In the 90s, you had Matt Dillon for the high end stuff. Uh, was it Matt Dillon? No, sorry, it's Peter Gallagher. You had Peter Gallagher for the high-end stuff. Peter Gallagher of uh, the OC fame. Of the OC fame, yeah. yeah. So you had Peter Gallagher for the high-end stuff, and you had Jonathan Skeech for the edgier, edgier stuff, stuff, when you basically needed someone who looked and sounded the same. Yeah. And then Peter Gallagher got old and cool, and Jonathan Skeech just faded into obscurity and for some reason turned up on Legends of Tomorrow last year. Yeah, Peter Gallagher is just now that guy that can just be someone cool's dad. Like, like he's... Well, uh, he is in the... Uh, he's the, in um, uh, New Girl. He is, yeah. He's yeah. also going to be... He, he's in whatever's going to become of the Cruel Intentions oh, series. Yeah. I remember we were talking about a while ago. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, Michelle like Geller's dad. I'm a fan. I'm a fan and, uh, yeah. But, uh, no, he's awful in this. Uh, Christopher Maloney's trying, but the material's not there. Dave Batista, uh, they don't seem to know what to do with this character, so basically he just shows up as kind of the Drax of the bunch, because why not? Mm. And, yeah, at the end of it all, you come away just thinking, it was needlessly convoluted. It had a series of characters who existed purely to explain what was going on, and yet none of it needed to be. Yeah. And by the time the story all comes together, and it's various threads intertwined, I mean, there's a bunch of threads that just simply get left hanging. I just don't think, I, I kind of don't care. I'm glad it's over, but <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. I didn't dislike it. I just I thought, why don't you just strip this down, make this a little bit more simplistic? Have some, lean. Yeah, have yeah. some fun with it and that's the thing it doesn't seem to have any fun it's it belongs to that crop of thinking air quotes thinking man's action films and yet it's really not it's just want to see things explode well not even that the stuff with the actual robberies i just want to see things explode that's really i just want to see bruce willis explode let let me give you this for example the film literally opens with one with the first robbery this is how they rob a bank and it's fantastic they they go into a bank they're wearing like uh hockey masks you know they have big machine guns they walk into (laughs) a point break yeah they put a bluetooth speaker in the middle of the floor and the rubber using a samsung galaxy gear watch or whatever taps in a series of mp3 instructions to it and it relays instructions like stay on the ground please place your phone in front of you and in 30 if you don't in 30 seconds we will kill you etc and it's a really clever and elaborate way there's a tech side to it that's actually kind of impressive you think I like this. Wow, actually, the idea of, you know, ruthlessly professional, tech-savvy bank robbers <laughs> not really been done for a while. Why not? Problem is, it then wants to just be a thinking man's action film, and it's it's not, really. It's, it's not actually enough to be. It's not smart it's enough not to be. enough to be. It's not thinky enough to be a thinking bit. It's not actually enough to be an action bit. And just 
It's just a thing. Yeah, and then the middle of it all is Bruce Willis, who you can pretty much see sneaking off in the background holding a check. And you know, <laughs> like one of those like comically oversized ones, like Bob Barker. Yeah, yeah. he's just walking away. <laughs> check, you know, made out to Walter Willis, yeah. you know, for you know three million and for, for services rendered or for mm. services phoned in. Um, I feel like every time that he now has one of his films, we should have a Bruce Willis button where it's it's Bruno. Yeah. Just like a snippet of Bruno. I, I, I tell you what, singing. I tell you what, you know what, just for the hell of it, yeah. here's a snippet from Under the Boardwalk. Under the Boardwalk. Out of the sun. Under the Boardwalk. We'll be having some fun. People walking above. Under the Boardwalk. We'll be falling in love. Under the Boardwalk. Boardwalk. And we're back I in the I really love that. I, I do. Really enjoy I do. That. I do. You know what? I, I remember when he used to turn up at premieres and openings and play the sax. Yeah. And yeah, it's very much for Bill Clinton of, of actors. <laughs> <laughs> remember when Bruce Willis was fun? Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. I was talking to Cassie about Moonlighting the other day. Oh, I love Moonlighting. What were we watching? We were watching uh, The Grinch, which has oh, got yeah. uh, Christine Baranski. Baranski, yeah. Who was in uh, uh, Sybil. Yes, she was, yeah. yeah. So, with uh, Sybil Shepard. With Sybil Shepard from, yeah. from Moonlighting. So Cassie said that she's going to go back. She's going to watch all of, all of Sybil. Who was the daughter in Sybil? I remember she was oh, like a low-level sex symbol at the time. Mm. I, I want to say Alicia Witt. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. She's yeah. not been in anything lately, really, has she? Don't recall. No. Do not recall. No, anyway, I have some news. Go on. Go on, some news. 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 Go on. So uh, we were, a couple of weeks ago, talking about uh, Sebastian Stan uh, joining the I, Tonya film. Yes. So uh, this is a biopic about... I know this uh, news as well, and I can tell you're very excited news. about it. Of course I am, because I love her. She's one of my favourite ladies. <laughs> um, it's about uh, uh, Tonya Harding. Yeah. The film is going to be called I, Tonya. Yeah. Tonya is going to be played by Margot Robbie. Who's got them crazy eyes. She's going to make she that work. She's got them crazy she eyes. She's got them crazy eyes. And her mum, who is on TV playing a mum in yeah. a show called Mom. Mom. <laughs> Miss <laughs> uh, uh, Alison Janney, yeah, she's great. Uh, right? Do you know? CJ, anything, do you know? Anything, do you know anything about the mum? Um, she's bonkers. She is bonkers. I feel she's like bonkers, bonkers was a bit hereditary in their family. Well, ESPN. You know, ESPN's Thirty for Thirty. I do. I don't understand yeah. what that title refers to, but I watched the OJ Simpson one uh, earlier this. Uh, I want to have that. Yeah, fascinate. Yeah. Really, you wouldn't think you could make a five-hour well, documentary. I'm still going to watch OJ Made in America. That's kind of that's on my list. No, that's before. that's it. That, that's the one. Oh, it's Thirty for Thirty. Oh, because they split it up, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it is a, a five film. Parts. Yeah, 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 there the five we part are. series. Uh, ESPN. There we go. That saves me something to watch. They're they one and the same. They are one and the same. Well, they've done one on Tonya Harding as well, and they interviewed the mum, and she's really hard on her in the inter- mm. really hard on Tonya Harding in the in the interviews. But also, she's bonkers and talks to parrots. And that's all you need to say. Yeah. So yeah, we are going to see. Alison Janey mm. in full she's character. Got a crazy talking. name. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Lavonia or something? Lavonia Harding. Lavonia yes. Harding. God, it's like the naming scheme of the Trump family, isn't it? Yeah. Ivana and Ivanka. Ivanka. <laughs> just, 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 sounds like a series of desires, uh, isn't it? Ivana and Ivanka. It does, but uh, I, Ivanka Trump is just... It, it sounds like a Russian person saying, I want to Trump. <laughs> I want you, to fart. You know you, you know, you say that, not to be too sexist, but I've seen Ivanka sw- uh, Trump's uh, swimsuit work, and uh, I, I can't disprove What future uh, first daughter... Slash chief of staff. Yeah, yeah. When you know, Ranch Priebus isn't there. I'm, I'm just Ranch Priebus. What kind of name is that? <laughs> oh, just anyway, not a political show. We film keep show. doing this. It's, it's going to be difficult for the next four years. It's going to be the next really four difficult. years are going to drag on. I know. I feel like we're we're like the Young Turks and not on screen. The Young Turks. Yeah. Have, have you, are you not aware of the work of the Young Turks? No, I'm not aware of the Young Turks. Uh, do it's a, uh, a political uh, a YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the I, I watch is really definitely worth uh, worth checking out. 
Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Quick so, plug for a channel we're never going to acknowledge. Exactly. Let me let me talk about uh, about London Town then. Yeah, this, this is an interesting one. Okay, so I'm going to give you the plot, yeah. and then we're going to talk to the director. Quick, quick side note: I am a huge fan of the Clash. I know you and are, and also Joe Strummer and right. solo work. This was really fun because I got to interview uh, the director Derek Bort. Yeah, a while ago. A while ago. This was October. I've been sat on this for two months because I was embargoed until the 9th of December. And yeah. he found that fascinating. He didn't know that. It came up in conversation. I went, well, did you know, he, I can't. Did he know when his film was coming out? He didn't know when it was coming out. <laughs> I had to break that to him. Um, he was also quite ill when I spoke to him. Mm. He had the flu at the time. Mm. Um, so Derek Bort, of course, brought us... Remember that film, The Joneses, a few years ago? With David Duchovny and Demi yes. Moore and Amber Heard and uh, Badge Penley. I know his name's Penn Badgley, but I don't care. He's going to be called... <laughs> <laughs> Badge Penley? Pen Badgley. Pen Badgley. Pen Badgley. Um, right. So this is the latest from, uh, from, from Derek Bort. And this is based on his love of, of The Clash. He basically just wanted to do a Clash movie, and he came across this script, tweaked it slightly, and here we have um, the story of a young boy growing up in the 80s, sort of coming-of-age tale. His dad is he's single, single-parent family. His dad is played by Dougray Scotts, a.k.a. the Wolverine that never, never was. was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much, scheduling conflicts. Now we're stuck with Hugh Jackman forever. Do you reckon him and Stuart Townsend have got a club? <laughs> Just like, we could have been those characters. We could have been stars. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I the replacement in Taken 3? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not even good enough to be, be Xander Berkeley the first time around. <laughs> but yeah, so Dougray Scott is the dad. He is hospitalised in an accident, and his two children are left to fend for themselves. Now, his young son, I think his name's Daniel Huddlestone, um, his young son, who's you know basically caring for his... Uh, is it... I can't remember his name, is it? Yeah, Daniel Huddlestone. Um... He's caring for his sister, but at the same time, he struck up a friendship, a sort of burgeoning childhood romance, uh, with a girl he meets on a train one day, who introduces him to the work of the Clash, and thus, in- thus introducing him to, basically, adulthood in a strange hmm. way. So his coming of age happens to coincide with his discovery of the Clash. Now, the Clash then turn up with Jonathan Rhys-Mayers, of all people, as, as Joe Strummer, and you wouldn't think it would work... But somehow it do- it's bonkers, but it works. And the two strike up this sort of weird mentor-protege sort of a relationship. At the same time, he's put in charge of his... Well, not put in charge of, but he's left to fend for his dad's business while his dad is, you know, recovering in hospital. And it all comes to a head as he tries to save the family business with the aid of his new friends, The Clash. Here's a clip before we talk to Derek Ball. Who are they? What, you've been living under a rock? Worse, I think. Once did. <laughs> You're funny. What's your name? Vivian. Suits you. Yeah, well. What's yours? Shay. Guevara. I like that. The Clash. Huh? The band, it's The Clash. Never heard of them. I can tell. 
So, Derek, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. And the film is London Town, which is a coming-of-age story involving The Clash. Would be the best way to call it, really? I think, it, yeah, uh, it's a coming-of-age story that, that has a, a, an element to it. that, that There's a storyline that involves The Clash in it, yeah. I did notice when I watched the film, towards the very end, it said, based on the screenplay about Joe Strummer. Was that was it an evolution? Do you have a Joe Strummer project that evolved into this? Well, you know, it was. I think originally when Sony was trying to take the, the Clash catalog and do something with it on a feature level, you know, there was an ori- initial script done uh, before I got involved that I guess was just untitled. Untitled Joe Strummer. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's. Yeah. So uh, by the time I got involved, uh, it was already called London Town. I don't know how different it was, but uh, but yeah, that's that's where that original title came from. So I heard the story that this uh, that part of your interest in this owed a bit to the movie. And when you were younger, you got given a tape of the Clash yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was fourteen years old. Someone gave me this uh, this tape, and you know, I was in middle school, junior high school, and uh, I popped it in and hit play, and, and much like Shay, White Man, and Hammersmith, Pelé came on, and it just spoke to me, and, and and really, it was I immediately knew this was the music that I was supposed to listen to. So, um, you know, that's why this project just spoke to me so much. And I was, I was talking to my agent one day and he said, what is your dream project? And I said, just off the cuff, I'd love to find a project about a kid discovering the clash because I'd always thought that the best way to tell their story was not as a biopic, but more uh, as you know, the, the music and the effect on other people and, and therefore someone discovering the music and, and, and what effect that music may have opening up a, a new world to, to, to someone. And I, when this project was, was, I found out it existed, I had to make this film. Do you think that the coming-of-age aspect through the music of The Clash, in this case, that that's something that's relatable regardless of the band itself? That some, a, a, a 14-year-old now, for instance, could have someone equivalent? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that you know, the movie, to me, is really about the power of music to change your life. Now, I think that you know, the way people listen to music these days is so different in that... You know, uh, in 79, or even when I discovered them a couple of years later, it wasn't like there was this sort of uh, plurality of, of, of avenues to finding music and playing music. It was really... No Spotify at the time. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think that, you know, it, it, it may have been more powerful, much like, uh, you know, like we were, I mean, you know, like we were just talking about the, um, a TV show back then. Mm. You know, when, when the choice was, was, when you didn't have as much choice... I think it was it was more powerful whether you know you discover an album you play it over and over and over and over again you know I think that it still could have that effect today but I think with with uh, short attention spans and 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 you know uh, ease of of acquiring all music now we're spoiled we're spoiled we are you know I don't I don't know that kids are going to listen to it. I mean when I got the, that that cassette of that first Clash album I played one side. And then play the other, and then play one side, and then play the other, over and over and over again. Simple at times. Exactly. So, you know, I would hope that music still has that power, but, uh, you know, maybe it's a, just a kind of romantic notion or something. Well, speaking of, of romantic notions, obviously, uh, Joe Strummer is such, he's the face of, of The Clash. Um, how, how is casting him as a process? How did you how did you go about that? Well, you know, it was a long process, um, and Johnny was always... Always the, the, the name that, uh, that was, that was right there in the front, you know, based on, on a combination of his 
his his abilities. First of all, you know he's a, he's such a talented actor. He can carry a tune as well. It's, it's... Uh, and he's very musical. You know he played he had played Elvis. He played uh, you know he was in Velvet Goldmine and that kind of Bowie esque character, I guess. Um, and August Rush, he, he he sings and plays as well. So so that was always part of it. And I think once Johnny read the script and we spoke, uh, it was very clear that he he felt the same the same passion for this film that I did. And, uh, you know, we really connected over, over how to make this work and, and, you know, dealing with the pressure of someone portraying this iconic character and our hopes of getting it right. And what that meant, what getting it right actually means. Did the research process involve a lot of beers and vinyl sort of a sort of thing there? No, you know, the research process involved, uh, a lot of, uh, watching rude boy, you know, which was a favorite film of mine when I was younger. And I, this film kind of has, you know, it really has a lot, a lot of, uh, similarities to Rude Boy. You know, um, in fact, even Ray Gange from Rude Boy, uh, uh, is it makes a cameo in our movie. You know, I was talking with my first AD one day and I just said, be really, be really cool to have Ray Gange come out and play a cameo. And she said, Oh, I know Ray. I'll phone him up right now. That's and the best look. The next thing you know, Ray comes in and we, you know, he, he, he was very happy to do it. And one of the coolest things about the production of this film was, uh, you know, First off, there is so much pressure to get it right. As a Clash fan, the pressure I would put on myself, as well as the, the Clash fans around the world, I feel that pressure to get the music part right and get the band right. And um, Ray came to visit the set on the day that we shoot that we shot uh, one of the performances, that one of the band's performances, and uh, and we did a take, and the, you know, they, and Johnny and the guys played, and I look over in the corner, and there's Ray, this you know, uh, towering presence, towering presence over there. But he's he's got a huge smile on his face, and I walk over and talk to him. Ray, how's it going? This has taken me right back to the first time that Joe brought me into rehearsal to meet the other guys in the band, and and you've really captured the the, the moment, the essence of it, and brought me right back to to almost forty years ago when I'm when I was that kid. No higher compliments. Yeah, exactly. So I think that it's, uh, you know, that was just such a special part of it to know that from people, among Ray, among others, from people that were there, that we did get a lot of it right in terms of the essence of of capturing the band. And it was interesting in talking with people about Joe, for instance, in in this character. We met so many people who said that Joe was not the guy on the posters and the album covers. He really was an incredibly generous wonderful person and if you were one of his friends you know he he definitely would go out on a limb and and, and have this sort of uh, guardian angel kind of you know he would take care of people in a way that that we show in the movie you know it's a softer side and and i think that um you know once again talking about romanticizing things in the past i think that people remember him maybe as far more of a punk than he really was you know he was an intellectual he was a revolutionary but he was also you know he didn't come from the streets you know he came from uh you know somewhat affluent background and and uh you know we heard from so many people that we really did capture a side of him that most people didn't know but that it was real which was important to you know to to hear these kind of things so um it, as well as being a clash movie it's also quite quite touching and quite an insightful coming of age story as well yeah. uh, largely through Shay and his journey Really, his journey through his through his adolescence in in one big swoop and going through the the perils and pitfalls of a, a divided family and becoming a caregiver almost. Sure. Um, how difficult was it to cast Daniel Huddleston as Shay? Well, it was difficult to cast the role of Shay until Daniel came along. 
I mean, uh, you know, Daniel really is such a seasoned professional at such a young age. I mean, he's really he's quite the weapon repertoire for someone. His he age, really does. He? Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, from the large productions he's been involved with from Les Mis to into the woods, um, you know, he really is a pro. The difficult thing with him was, you know, he's in every scene in this film. Oh yeah. So it was exhausting and trying to just keep him, you know, take care of him and keep him, keep him fresh and keep him, you know, uh, from, from, you know, falling apart as a young, you know, young person might, you know, that was really part of the, part of the responsibility of, of working with really all the kids, but Daniel in particular, because he really carried so much of this film. Oh, the entire film is on his back. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, that, and he really came through. He really, I think is, is, um, he shows, shows great depth and, and range in this, in this character. And, and, uh, he's really a special kid. It's a very transformative performance because we do see him go from literally one end of the spectrum to the other through this. And it's a, it's a physically transformative as well as emotional uh, one I found. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, to go from the, the uh, naive schoolboy he, he is one day to then meeting Vivian and discovering the clash and dyeing his hair and kind of becoming a punk in a matter of days, you know, but I think those are the kind of transformations that happened. You know, I, I, I saw it myself, you know, someone just when something feels like it's your calling and, you know, for him, maybe it was part of the music, part of the girl, you know, people, people make decisions for a variety of reasons, but he does undergo a major transformation in the film. It's a very immersive world. Uh, the period setting that you've, you've constructed around this is incredibly immersive. Uh, when you're actually filming in that sort of environment and the level of detail in the background of, for instance, the, the seventies kitchen, and you've got a 1970s fairy liquid bottle, um, the level of detail that is that something that you sort of get lost in when you're working on it? Do you, you step outside afterwards and think, Oh, right. Yes, I have an iPhone. Um, is that something that happens? Yeah, you know, I think that that first off, you know, we had such an amazing art department on this film, and and Laura Ellis Crick, the the production designer, her attention to detail was was second to none. And I mean, there were things that I that I didn't know about the period. I, I mean, I'd done my research, but she said, "Oh, we really need to have this bottle of dishwashing liquid or something on the you know on the counter." But it did help in terms of uh, of all of us getting lost in it. I mean. Uh, you know, one of the things we we had, were dealing with was the winter of discontent, the dustman strike. Yes, I did, I did. I did spot that in there. You know, all the photos from that period of time. There's huge mountains of garbage everywhere. So uh, I did find that quite period specific as well. There is a shot at one point of the tunnel with the rubbish. Oh yeah, that's a very specific set of rubbish. There. It is, and I think that uh, you know we use that to our advantage when you're trying to shoot period in you know modern London. As much as Hackney still sort of in some ways does look like 70s London, um, certain streets, there's always that that new car or something that didn't get moved that's on the street, so it was always like pull up the box truck and cover it in fake garbage, <laughs> and you know, thankfully it worked to our advantage. So um, obviously um, in, the, in the past 12 months we've had Sing Street as well, which was a, a similarly musically themed uh, coming of age story, um, but a little broader and less specific than, uh, than London Town. In fact, I believe the, the clash period I think is something that just gets skimmed through in five minutes in Sing Street. Um, one thing you have on your side with this film, though, is uh, an added sense of grit and social relevance. 
And in particular, I did notice early on in the film the introduction of the National Front element. Now, given where we are now, uh, sort of politically, you know, contemporarily, um, is that something you thought we, we have to include that? Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, when I first heard The Clash, once I deciphered Joe's lyrics, because obviously they were a little, little hard to, to understand, the music spoke to me, but once I heard really could understand the lyrics, I wanted to know what he was talking about. So I, at a, at a relatively young age, learned what was going on socially, politically, racially at the time. And uh, when it came time to do this film, and we have all these, these uh, parallels, let's say, in, in <laughs> contemporary uh, uh, in the United States today as well as the UK, um, you know, I felt like, okay, there's similar things going on on a racial level and on a social level. Let's, let's make sure that we... We paint the backdrop and, and, and show, A, that, that things were similar, and this was a time that produced this great movement, this music, um, and, and the other things that came out of the punk movement. But, um, yeah, it, it was definitely a very conscious thing to try to have that as the backdrop for all of this. So um, in casting the parents, you've got Doug Ray Scott, you've got Natasha McCallum, both terrific, uh, terrific performers in their own right. Um, what was it specifically that uh, drew you to these two as regards, uh, regards the parents? Well, I think that for Doug Ray, for instance, um, you know, I think this was a role unlike, unlike um, the roles he's become known for. It's more typically associated, I think, with villainous. Exactly, yeah. Right, and, and, you know, when I met with him and he... He told me about his connection to this role, and and to this to this father that that was so much like his own. Um, he had such such. Uh, I, mean, I, I, don't, I hate to keep overusing the word passion, but he had so much passion for the role. He connected with the character in such a deep way that that uh, you know he had great ideas, and and you know I I think I always thought he was very talented. I I would not have just thought off the cuff like uh, you know he'd be. A warm and and uh, uh, you know uh, a character quite like this, but I, I just think he he really brought a lot to the to the set every day and and, and had a lot of his own ideas and 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 I love that you know I love when when the collaborative part of this. So he was very uh, very quick to 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 make this his own and 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 take it from there. You know, I think when the with Natasha. It was a similar thing. You know, the very first thing she said to me was, and I, I'd met her actually a few times before for other projects, so I already knew her. And, uh, you know, when she read this and, and, and called me, it seemed like she had very similar uh, touchstones in her own life to to the mother. And, uh, you know, it's always great when, when you know, obviously you want the, to give actors things to connect with in their own lives, to personalize these things. and uh, And both of them really... We're able to do that with these roles. So, in constructing the the screenplay for this, to say it was a, it was a project before you came along, and obviously it's been modified and it's evolved under your own sensibilities. How did the writing process go? Because this is Matthew Brown writing, um, who most recently wrote uh, the Man Who Knew Infinity. So, how did that how did that process uh, work? Did you simply go to him and say, right, I think we should include this, this, and this? I'll step away and leave you to it, or was it more involved, more active on your part? Well, I think that, you know, the script that Matt wrote was was very close to, to what we ended up with. You know, when I got involved, the script was, was pretty close to what you see. You know, obviously there's always going to be some notes and, and um, 
and he's such a such a talented writer and director as well that uh you know it was it was great to 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 talk with him and and uh you know i think he uh, he'd been with the project a lot longer than i had so you know he probably had heard he probably heard other you know similar notes already so there were times maybe where he said uh you know, uh, I already heard this note before and here's why I didn't address it. And, and, and that's fine. That's okay. You know, I think that, that, you know, like I said, I think he's such a great writer and, um, and obviously as a director, you want, you know, you want to put your stamp on things as well. So I think it was just, uh, um, you know, your typical, typical, uh, you know, prep and collaboration to try to get it to that, to that final point. So finally, the film features, uh, roughly six or seven songs by the clash, six or seven offhand I, I think it's either one yeah um how how difficult was it for you then as the fan to settle on those specific choices uh are the ones you wish you'd included well i mean it's a, it really wasn't that difficult because we wanted to stay with that with with as much of that first album as possible um even though white man and hammersmith palais was not on the uk release of that which is another sort of, you know, one of the finer points that I'm sure some people are going to pick out. It was on the U.S. version, and it was that song that hooked me, you know, so, so I felt like, okay, you know, uh, there are creative liberties that to, to taken as far as, as far as that goes. Um, as far as if there are songs that I wish I, I, I would have included, um, I think we got the right songs, you know. I, I'm happy that we were able to use a lot of the original reggae songs that The Clash ended up covering, like uh, Pressure Drop, Armageddon Time, Police and Thieves, but we actually use the reggae versions because that's what they were listening to. Derek, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, London Town is on release on December 26th. So London Town, then. So this is genuinely fun and quite touchy. In a strange way, you remember Sing Street? Did you ever get to see Sing Street? Yes, I have seen it now. Right. Did really enjoy it. You know that moment, there's, there's that recurring gag in Sing Street where the kid keeps appearing on different days dressed as different pop stars and his attitude mm. changes accordingly. Yeah. Right. So. This is basically like that, only he settled on the, uh, the thrash, the thrash rock stage of, of The Clash. And if you're a fan of The Clash, or whether, whether or not you're a fan of The Clash, it's a film that works because it's not about The Clash. It's just a coming of age story that happens to be punctuated by The Clash. And it has at the center of it all this magnetic performance by Jonathan Rhys-Meyers who let's be really honest for a second is an actor who can go either way absolutely like um for me, his best role is probably uh, a Velvet Goldmine. That's it as well. Yeah. Now, apparently, that was paramount to his, his casting. So, yeah. yeah. Um, that's it. This is one of his top-tier performances. This is one of the upper echelon of his of his roles to date. Yeah. And he's obviously having fun. He's obviously enjoying it. He's got the swagger. He's got the aggression. And you think, yeah, great, this works. But it's all down to Daniel Huddleston as that lead. And he puts in a, a pretty impressive performance. I really liked it. Um, Duke Ray Scott, I think, balanced the dad aspect quite nicely. Starts out, you think he's going to be quite unlikable. Mm. And actually, his, his character <laughs> does right. kind of charm. He kind of wins you around as it goes on. I did. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I expected nothing from it. I mean, I saw the film knowing nothing. I just had some press notes. Um, and I was then told, yeah, you're going to interview Derek Bort tomorrow. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, watched the film, genuinely loved it, and thought, this is like a streamlined, more refined, specific take on Sing Street. And that's it. I think these two complement each other quite well. I think Sing Street is a more broad, all-encompassing look at music at the time. This is 
the rock equivalent. And I like that about it because I don't think rock ever gets its due. Rock has that wonderful thing where it can bring people together. I love yeah. that about it. <laughs> and it never gets that credit. It's nice to see a feel good coming of age drama dealing with rock music. Yeah. In, and especially, uh, especially rock music in the sense mm. of something like The Clash. But uh, just, yeah, this is not film news. This is on. something I've literally just read and it just made me feel a bit sad, but it is relevant okay. because it is about rock music. Go on. So, um, there's uh, there's two magazines, uh, Classic Rock and uh, Metal Hammer. Yes. Don't know if you've heard of them both. Uh, both part of the same company. Oh, uh, I have Team heard Rock. of them both, yeah. Uh, Team Rock has uh, gone into uh, uh, into administration. Oh, no. So everybody there has lost their jobs one week before <gasps> Christmas and being told they're not going to be paid for this month. Oh. Literally just, yeah, so there's now uh, a crowdfunding campaign that's literally just been launched by uh, frontman of a band called Orange Goblin. Oh, um, yeah, so yeah, they're like asking people to help those guys out. But yeah, that that, 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 that sucks. So sad. One week before Christmas, and they're not getting any money for December. For oh. December, that is terrible. Really this bad. Is why I hate the bad news. But well, uh, that's that's it. I mean, uh, I, I can remember buying Metal Hammer when I was I used to buy that Kerrang and Enemy. This is all your fault, bloggers. This is all you. No. But I hope you sleep well in your basements. I do. Absolutely. But, um, right, I've I've got some uh, some news about some on. projects that sound pretty cool. So, what's the crow's got a new job? Oh, oh yeah, I heard about this one. Is, so is, is I've this... only heard about this today, just through you. Is this the uh, the adaptation of yeah, Stephen okay. King adaptation uh, revival? So it's going to be called. Who's directing so, this? Uh, Josh Boone, who bought us uh, four and a stars. Um, he's he's doing, going to be doing new mutants. Yeah. yeah. Although I would not be surprised if he drops out of that oh god no it's just it's one of those things it's been so like long gestating and <laughs> didn't that i'm sure new mutants at one stage was going to be written by the guy who did the oc i'm oh, sure what's his name? I uh, read josh schwartz josh schwartz yeah Either that or... No, that was it. Josh Schwartz was doing X-Men First Class years, years ago, ago when he wanted it to be a fun, light-hearted yeah. adventure. And then Matthew Vaughan and Jake yeah. Goldman. And, and I think at one point he was attached to New Mutants instead. And yeah, but... That happened. Okay. Well, uh, Revival it, uh, mm-hmm. centres around uh, a preacher uh, who um, uh, loses his faith in the wake of his family's uh, demise. Uh, he discovers uh, the healing power of an electrical current. That's the one, Yeah, yeah. Oh, incidentally, speaking Sounds of pretty cool. Speaking of mm. the current war has started filming. I discovered that this the other day. Great. That's the Michael Shannon. Uh, is it Cumberbatch? Cumberbatch is in it. Cumberbatch, uh, Shannon, like Nicholas Holt. Who is Nicholas? He's playing someone amazing. Nicholas <sighs> Holt. Who, so, somebody's playing Tesla. Uh, one's Tesla. The other one's Westinghouse. Yep. And then I forgot who's who. Oh, do you know? I forget. But it's going to be awesome. It is. That, that, that does sound great. Wow. It? Yeah. Can I? Can I talk about the film I've been dying to talk about now? Which is obviously, if you're hearing yeah. this, if you're hearing this, then it's obviously after 12.01 on Boxing Day. Anyway, Monster Trucks is here. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, I, I have. Yeah, it's okay. been on the cards for a long time. It was delayed. <laughs> this was delayed. It was about two years ago this was meant to be out. Yeah. And it, it got It was like long, long before Lucas Toll was MacGyver. Yes, it, yeah. it was. And you could tell because he visibly looked younger in it. <laughs> but, okay, so, general gist. You've got Lucas Till is, uh, you know, the small town wayward teen. You know, will do anything to get out of the small town. Yeah. You know, standard. He, he, you know, he looks about 26, but he's a high school student. He really does. He looks about 26. <laughs> but he's a high school student. And uh, he spends his, his evenings working in a scrapyard for Danny Glover. As as you do, Danny Glover's in this. Danny Glover in a wheelchair. I did not know that. Yeah, Danny Glover in a wheelchair, and uh, oh, and and his stepdad, or sorry, his mum's boyfriend, is the town sheriff, played by Barry Pepper, who is still oh. around. Barry, I love Pepper. Barry Pepper. The last Remember? thing I saw him was Lone Ranger. 
Yes, yeah. that was that was it. Well, that's presumably, and he was also in True Grit, and his character in True Grit is uh, Ned Pepper. Oh my god! I don't know why I remembered that. Barry Pepper, yeah. I'm pretty sure, has like on his business card Barry M. Pepper, and then for job title, not Alex Winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've worked with the Coen Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I've worked with Coen Brothers. I'm not Alex Winter. Yeah, and and that's it. Um. So this is the thing. He's, he's, he's got the stepdad who's always interfering in his actions. Basically, you know, thinks he's the root of all evil and everything. One day, an evil oil company. Because I, I should point out, this is one of those films that harks back to like nineties family films, eighties, nineties yeah. family films. Uh, so there's there's an evil oil company because there always is. Is the head of the evil oil company uh, Rex Tillerson, who's just been named as Secretary of State. <laughs> he's played the same way, only he's played by. He's got like guns. And... Ha- have a guess who plays the head of the evil oil company? Not John Goodman. Not John. Who do you get to play corporate? Sleaze. If it's 1994, go on. Stacey Keach. No, Rob Lowe. But still, <laughs> Rob Lowe turns. No way. I, know. I had no idea Rob Lowe was in this film. Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe is the big bad. Oh. Right. Rob Lowe turns up to play, co- you know, corporate sleaze trademark in that way that Rob Lowe has done like 6,000 times. Wayne's World. Isn't Wayne, it? Yeah. Exactly Wayne's World. Yeah. He's even got the same, same hair. He's slick back. <laughs> I think he's. I don't think they even gave him a costume. I think they just asked him if he still had the Wayne's World gear at home, and he can <laughs> still fit into it because he's Rob Lowe. The man does not age or gain weight. He does not. No. He's, what is he like? Sixty-five now, and still looks about. 32? I don't even think that time matters to him anymore. It's just he looks about thirty-two. Yeah, he, um, he is essentially Chris Traeger now. Oh, oh yeah, 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 totally is. yeah, he's the same. Here's my thing, by the way. Why was Rob Lowe never Superman? Just putting it out there. Oh, anyway, would have been, been amazing, yeah. wouldn't it? Anyway, um, <laughs> so going back to my thing. So the evil oil company are looking are drilling into. Uh, you know what they think is a new oil bed they happen upon an underground lake that they have to push through to get to the oil but by pushing into this lake they unle- they accidentally tap into the environment the the natural what do you call it, the natural habitat of an undiscovered species of prehistoric squid-like creatures three of whom shoot up through the oil pipe they capture two but one gets away and where do you think that one is going to turn up in somebody's truck in some or oh, in the scrapyard actually oh, right. where lucas still happens upon him and it's and you know when the evil oil company's minions then arrive the evil oil co- the head minion by the way is played by uh, holt mccallany right i've got to go to the imdb page because i i feel like i i just cannot believe this castle <laughs> holt mccallany oh yeah. no wait because no don't 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 go yet i want to i want to i want to oh i've, I've just seen things. one la- uh, one 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 name yeah yeah I'm, i know we'll do what you like yep yeah so holt mccallany is head minion for the evil oil company he leads his team of uh his goons you know, goons, hide goons, hide goons. Goons, hide. <laughs> they turn up, intimidate Lucas Till. Lucas Till decides he's going to protect the, uh, the the creature, whom he soon names Creech, because as you do, yeah, Stacy Creech, and then discovers, as you do, that Creech has the ability through his tentacles to generate electricity, to generate bioelectricity. So when he climbs into Lu- the the, en- the empty engine of Lucas Lucas Till's you can car, do a crossover with this new Russell Crowe Stephen you King, could, yeah. yeah, he climbs into the 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 empty the derelict engine of Lucas Till's derelict truck and wraps his tentacles around the axle, and the elect the bioelectric current that he generates powers the car. So he constructs this, and, and, you know, he's got a car powered by a prehistoric monster who he has to get home whilst he's being chased by the evil oil company and their goons. Hired goons. <laughs> and along the way as well, he enlists the help of his doting classmate, a, a, a nerdy girl from his school who's just besotted by him, and who also happens to look about 26, because she's played by Jane Levy from... Who is roughly about 26. Who's roughly about 26. Yeah. So Jane Levy from Don't Breathe, and Evil Dead remake, and Suburbia... 
Suburgatory, sorry. And she is exactly 27. Nice. And they team up with a a sort of put-upon scientist from the oil company who happens to be played by, get this, Thomas Lennon. Yeah, oh. as in, you're a whore, Peter, you're a whore. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this... No, that's one of my favourite bits in yeah. that film. Oh, yeah, mine too. You're a whore, Peter. I mean, it, like, calls him. You know, every time John Coulson bails on me to do something else, yeah. I send him that clip. <laughs> every time he says, yeah, sorry, I could hang out, but I, like so-and-so, like, already trapped me into doing this something. thing, I just send him the I'm a whore clip. Genuinely, that's a real thing. Uh, right, so, do you think it sounds awesome yet? Come on, as I've just laid this out for you. I mean, you've sold me more than the trailers have. Exactly. See, it's not all that bad. So, here is a clip of uh, of the first time Creech powers his car. I press the gas. The throttle wire pulls these levers, which open these blinders. <laughs> right? Right? It's like the truck's a wheelchair for it. Uh, no, it's like, uh-huh. it is an engine for my truck. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> right, it's loud, it's stupid, it is dunderheaded, it is Clear. I mean, it, apparently, they, 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 the reason they've been so hard about it uh, over at Paramount is because they envisioned it as a teen-friendly movie, mm. and it actually comes across as more of a kid's movie. Now, to be fair to it, the seven-year-old in me thought this was fantastic. The adult in me could not believe what he was seeing. I mean, it's dunderheaded to the nth of degree. Of course, yeah. It is, but then again, it's called Monster Trucks. What do you expect? What did you think? Yeah. It's, I mean, the poster alone promises you the dumbest film you're going to be seeing for some time. Yeah. And yet, here's the funny part of it. It almost accidentally, because it, it can't be intentional, it seems to have accidentally uh, set about sort of subverting and playing with the conventions of all of those 80s and 90s sort of ambling, family-friendly movies. Even something as recent as, as Earth to Echo. Something like, you know the whole kids find an alien have to get it home routine? Same thing. It's, it's E.T. It's, it's, it's the E.T. formula, but obviously it's now evolved to the degree of, you know, CGI. And, uh, now, the creature itself is, is great fun. They play him kind of like a puppy, even though he looks like a script, but they play right. it in a sort of puppy-like way, albeit, you know, a car-moving oil-eating one, because that's what he eats, he eats oil. And there, there is, there's a great gag like in... Like an engine. <laughs> exactly. There's a gag in which they uh, they give him petrol without thinking. And oh. because, you know, petrol is oil with additives, mm. it, he, it goes like caffeine. So the car then oh. goes like 300 miles that's, an hour. That's all right. That's, it's it's kind of yeah, cool. funny. There is a lot of fun to be had with it. If you, if you have a young kid, for instance, and you want a great fun time at the cinema take them to see this they're gonna have the time of their lives if you know you that's the thing it also works on another level for the beer and pizza crowd it works for the stoner crowd it works for the gormless i just love a dumb fun kind of crowd (laughs) it is basically the gi joe of kids movies you know and i kind of like that about it i think it's an unexpected almost accidental win 
I really do. And the best part is the cast all seem to be in on the gag. The cast seem to be ahead of the filmmakers. The cast, like Lucas Till, seems to know what film he's in. Uh, Jane, um, there's no, I mean, Jane Levy's a fairly intelligent woman from what we've seen of her. Absolutely. You, you know, I've seen her in recent things. She, she actually seems to come across as quite intelligent. She knows plain as day what this film is and the way she plays her character in this, which is just fantastic. They play it. It's one of those films. It's never passing the national test because for one thing, there isn't a second woman in it, but, uh, <laughs> It, it does work. I mean, I think everything about it kind of works. And then, you know, it's... Oh, um, Amy Ryan, by the way, turns up as the mum because mo- because film. Yeah, I thought <laughs> as much, yeah. <laughs> when you've got... Perennial mum. Yeah, Amy perennial mum. Yeah. I, I feel like she just comes out of a, you know, a, a, a prefab pack when you need a cinematic mum now. Yeah, you just add water. Just add water yeah. and then, yeah, you, know, you take the Goosebumps promo pack and just take your Amy Ryan out and yeah. inflate it and, and then you and have... There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prepackaged mum. I liked it. I did not expect to. I mean, I genuinely went. I'd just seen the trailer for Fast Eight minutes before I saw it. Um, I, I went in thinking, I'd really just hope this is, you know, a faintly amusing. And then Rob Lowe turned up playing corporate sleaze trademark sleaze bag. Yeah, and Thomas Lennon turns up, and you're a whore, Peter. And you know, I had a lot of fun with it, and I didn't expect to. I really enjoyed this. By the way, Holt McKelleny as, you know, head hired goon. Goon. Um, hired goons. <laughs> as the head hired goon. Holt, Mc- Holt McKelleny brings a level of threat and intimidation to this kind of film that you haven't seen since, since E.T. You know, since Peter Coyote turned up yep. in E.T. And you genuinely thought, this is a man that will murder children. Holt McKelleny... I mean, you see everyone does. in, like, the, in the suits. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the way, weird thing about monster trucks. I, I never thought I'd say this. This is the weird thing. They seem to have a very strange concept of murder. Like, Holt McKelleny, who I want to remind you, works for an oil company. He is a security guard for an oil, oil company. company. Will genuinely, without even considering his actions, try and actively murder people. And and this includes, by the way, the actual town sheriff. He will actually try and murder the town sheriff. And you can't help but think, how how big is your paycheck? Like, really? I mean, does the oil, is the oil company going to support your family yeah. when you are sent to, <laughs> to prison for life for murder one? You're speaking <laughs> of paychecks. Go on. Geostorm. Oh, God. Let's talk about this, because this sounds just great. This sounds amazing. It sounds stupid as hell. I love Doesn't it. Doesn't it? I right, okay. It. So, first of all, here is the premise to the fl- Go to flick. Give me the plot. Give me the plot. Everything that's going on. Okay, so uh, basically, starring uh, Jared Butler, he, uh, <laughs> Jared Butler, which tells you everything you need to know. Straight off the bat. You know. Ex- oh, hang on. What is Jared Butler playing this time? He is playing an engineer, which is yes. as believable as Mark Wahlberg playing oh, an no. inventor. He's a satellite engineer. He is. He's an engineer. Which is good, because they need someone to be sent into space <laughs> to work on some weather-controlled satellites and prevent said weather-controlled satellites from unleashing a gargantuan man-made storm upon the Earth. Oh, a man. geostorm, if you will. Um, oh, oh, I so, hope, so I that, hope. That, that is the story. That's I'm the hoping it's called Hurricane Leonidas. Oh, oh come on, make this that happen. That would be incredible. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, hang on, but that's not the only plot of the film. Yeah, there's I'm, not. The, yeah, there, there is a subplot in yeah. the background that's been going on. You know, I've got to say, as far as subplots go, this one's kind of a whopper. Go on, then you tell us. So there's also a subplot whereby he and his estranged brother yeah. find themselves embroiled in a plot to assassinate the president. Because yeah, yeah. Wow. Basically, someone just wrote like six or seven different plot lines for different films, <laughs> well, cut them all up, <laughs> and just put them put them in a bowl. Picked how is he picked up three the or four. president if he's in space? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> maybe, the... maybe the, I don't know. Maybe a third brother's kidnapped the president. Right. Here's the thing. Right. Can you pull this up on IMDb? This film because it has filmed. So presumably they it's have... filmed. But my my news is for having reshoots with a different director. And that director is a producer of Independence Day. Dean Devlin. Oh no no no. Dean Devlin was the original director. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I thought it was the other way Oh, no, no, Dean Devlin. Oh, that's even this, worse. This was his debut as well. This oh, is his director that, that of debut. That makes me sad. Because now, been... now it means that the person who is uh, the director is uh, Danny Cannon, who uh, <laughs> was uh, Judge Dredd. He and, did. He really did. And Gotham. Yeah, he did. And uh, do you know, this is the best part, because mm. not only are they getting a new director, they've Get got a new, a new producer, and what a producer. Yeah. Ooh. You've you've heard of this guy? I have heard of this guy. Jerry Bruckheimer. Wow. He's made money. Do you know why Danny Cannon is directing this? No. Because Jerry Bruckheimer has a quite a, quite an established relationship of working with Danny Cannon. Because they made CSI together. Oh, Jerry Bruckheimer produces a CSI franchise. Danny Cannon directed a lot of CSI. So let's see so. who else is going to be in Joe's yeah, Because who they I, I only read about it the other day. Go on. So I'm not... Oh, okay. This this may be me be the one. Go on. Who we got? Is it Jim got? Sturgis? Is Max my brother? I, I don't know. I don't know the character names. But he, Jim he, Sturgis. He, that he makes is, sense. Exactly. Yeah. I could see that. He is out of everyone but some castless. He kind of makes the most logical yeah. sense. So okay. So uh, Catherine Winnock. Oh no no no. She's, no, she's been she's, she's been, been removed. removed. She's removed. So she, she was in Vikings, and now she's yeah. been eight six. She was uh, apparently a contender for Captain Marvel. So, I can see that. Yeah, you can. I can see that. Yeah, Alpha Woman and Blonde. Okay, so um, Jim Sturgis and Joe Butler, mm-hmm. uh, Abby Cornish. Okay. Andy Garcia, because he just likes to work. <laughs> I bet he's the president. I bet oh, yeah. yeah, he is. Is he, he is the president? President oh, Palmer. My God. President Palmer. And wait, wait, President Palmer. Seriously. President Palmer. Oh, man, come on, guys. There's only one President Palmer. I know. Come, come oh, no, on. No, 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 no. Spell, spell different. Palm as in of your hand yeah. and then A. So, oh, oh, okay, okay. So not, not, not Dennis Haysbert's no, no, no. twenty four. And um, uh, random up. Rest cast. in peace, big guy. Rest in peace. Uh, Ed Harris. Ed, Har- Ed Harris is the villain. Man obviously. in Black. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. obviously the villain. It's got to be. Ed Harris no, is no, the no. villain. Actually, no, it can't, it can't be. Why? It's a film with space. Ed Harris is involved. Here's the voice of Houston. Has to be. <laughs> Happening gravity happens obviously in Apollo thirteen. Why don't Here's they the just record Ed Harris like Siri style? You know where they like they get him for three weeks to record every <laughs> every line, every word in the English language for three weeks, like they were Siri. Yeah. And then they just use him as the automated voice they for should. the actual mission control. That was one of my favorite things about gravity, just hearing Ed Harris. I know he just was getting really nerdy about it. Was it was almost a gag, wasn't it? Yeah. That he was the thing but <laughs> oh, but yeah so apparently they've uh, they've they've changed massive elements they've only done two weeks of reshoots on this at the beginning mm. of this month they've finished now i think they're finished on the 14th they've changed massive elements to it they've removed kathleen winnick's character entirely so and she can't have been that integral then really i don't know but they've added a new female scientist i'm wondering if that's abby cornish, oh, abby cornish and yeah and it's uh what's her name later caro oh, i can't remember Please tell me what her name is, the new writer. Lita, it's a Greek name. And I beans with K. It's not, it's not an IMDb yet, because we've oh, still okay. got Dean Devlin and Paul. I'll have a look on our other, other site. Hang on a second. But uh, this, this is... Lita Kalogridis. <laughs> whom I know is having gotten her start on uh, the WB's Birds of Prey series. Yeah, and she wrote uh, Shutter Island. That was it, yes. Which, yeah, that's a name. But more importantly, like, yeah. she was involved in, oh, yeah. in the WB's cancelled Batman spin-off series, <laughs> yeah. Birds of Prey. Don't worry, I'm sure that David I will make it into a film at some I'm point. sure he will. Yeah. I'm sure he will. Yeah, that's going to be next after Gotham City Sirens. Ugh. But, uh, oh, apparently the rumour of the week is we're getting Jared Leto back as the Joker for that, by the way. Yeah. 
because there Believe isn't a god. Said. There isn't a god. Oh, no, no, they'll get him to do it because there is no god. So, mm. you know, we're alone in a godless universe clinging to a rock that's hurtling through space and we're all going to die. Um, you know, usual. Usual mm. fun. Oh, uh, Margot Robbie has uh, got married. Has she? Yeah. Okay. Kind of like secretly. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just, it's happened. It's a thing. So if you ever thought that... If she's married, does that mean we're not getting any, getting more of those fun her in the bathtub giving banking speeches to camera? Um, literally one of my favourite things. Someone else did that. She, someone else made her do that. I think it was off for some TV show or something. She did, she did it again. Yeah. I can't remember what it so was. Fine. She did it for uh, Big Short. She's done it again for something else. And I'm just sort of thinking, if this is going to be the gag now, yeah. I'm in. Because it's a brilliant <laughs> yeah. gag. All of that. I just love the idea of, you know, if you need something explaining, here's Margot Robbie in a bathtub. Yeah. And brilliant. Love it. Please keep that gag going. But uh, So, final film. Yes, we'll wrap it up with uh, uh, Operation Chromite. Right, there's not much to say on this one. Um, this, is, uh, this is pitched as the biggest South Korean blockbuster ever. Right. Well, I've um, never heard of any of the South Korean blockbusters, so by default, it probably is. I didn't know South Korea made anything besides horror movies. If I'm really honest, mm. I've never seen a South Korean comedy. I mean, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure they exist, but I've just I've never been. Maybe they yet. just have a different view of what a comedy is. <laughs> That's it. They've been putting horror movies out. Yeah, and we, just being like, we think they're horror it's movies. Hard film of the year. <laughs> yeah, they've been put, they've put out horror movies. We think they're we yeah. you know, they put out comedies. We think they're horror movies. In effect, they're meant to be like monster trucks that just <laughs> really messed up. That's what it is. But uh, <clears throat> so. Operation Chromite, which stars Liam Neeson in his third film of this week. Liam Neeson's. <laughs> I know. So Liam Neeson plays General Douglas MacArthur because someone thought that was casting that worked. Mm. And it, it was, doesn't. Was General MacArthur Irish? <laughs> I don't think Liam Neeson is at this point. And that's the thing. He teeters between... Can't do anything but an Irish accent. <laughs> he teeters between this John Wayne voice and his own Irish accent. And it just yeah. it, it just weirdly doesn't work. So the idea is, um, in, in uh, early in the Korean War, Douglas MacArthur, whilst leading UN forces, arranged for Operation Chromite, in which... Uh, a 75,000 soldier strong platoon would siege the port of Incheon. Uh, but in order for them to not be killed, because apparently it was a very easily fortified uh, position, mm. in order for them to get through the choppy waters and the easy ambushes, they had to arrange for Operation X-Ray, whatever it was called, in which um, South Korean spies would infiltrate North Korean occupiers, infiltrate the ranks of the North mm. Korean occupiers, and pose as North Korean soldiers in order to gather the intel that the the Allies will need to come through. I'll tell you what, here's a clip. Sir, if I may. Yes. This operation could entail many casualties. Should we proceed? This is the riskiest military operation that I've ever encountered. Why the fixation on Inchon? September 15th, zero hundred hours. I will land on Inchon. Open the way for me, son. Valiant men of X-Ray, make contact with KLO and guide our fleet to the beach. So yes, Liam Neeson there as General Douglas MacArthur, which might be the stupidest casting you've ever seen. There is a point in this movie in which Douglas MacArthur says, I've been fighting wars for 50 years. You're like, give it up, Liam. Come on, you're about 58, mate. In Belfast. Yeah, you're about 58, mate. Come on. <laughs> I mean, this is the bad part. But what you got, remember that film Stalingrad a couple of years ago? I do. Do you remember it? Did you see that with me? 
I can't no, remember. I didn't know. It was in IMAX, and actually, yeah. it was it was surprisingly impressive. But it was, you know, visually, it was quite impressive. It was though just a, it was that was the most expensive Russian blockbuster ever, or something. And uh, in the end, it just played like yeah. a standard war movie. It, that was it, it was the first cheesy. that we got in IMAX in this country. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But it was uh, it was far too cheesy for its own good. What you've got here is the same thing from South Korea. It's far too cheesy for its own good. And I'm talking about the actual Korean movie that's been made about X-ray about that unit and about their subtitled exploits in South Korea. Now, I'm sure to the actual South Korea, this is you know a, a stuff of legend. I'm mm. sure it is. But the problem is, you watch it and basically you're kind of fixated on the fact that they keep cutting back to these scenes that have obviously been inserted after the facts, starring Liam Neeson, and it's awful. It is absolutely awful. It has dialogue straight from the Alec Baldwin Pearl Harbor School of Screenwriting, in which you... Would you, would you like to give us a line? <laughs> genuine line of dialogue. Get God on the phone. <laughs> Tell him we need more time. <laughs> and you just start thinking, Liam, come on, pal. Come on. Yeah. You're better than this, man. You're better than this. And no, it doesn't let up. It is truly... I mean, the Liam Neeson film is truly awful. The South Korean film is all right, but mostly forgettable. And in the end, you come away from it all thinking, yawn, and yeah, no, I can't be bothered with this. It's just, I mean, it's just genuinely terrible. <laughs> Liam Neeson is so bad in this. And it's obvious that they, he's only there for, you know, face on the poster star appeal. Because he's, mm. you know, he's a very much, he's a, like a third stringer in this film. But he's there for the Bruce Willis in Marauders factor. He's there to be the big name, let's sell this overseas kind of talent. And the problem is the film does not warrant that kind of, that kind of look in. It's just, it isn't all that. But uh, I was, I was bored as hell by it, to be honest. But uh, it doesn't sound too gripping. There's a couple of half decent action sequences in it. I'll give it that. But it, it really isn't anything you haven't already seen done to death. Mm. But uh, so you want to finish some news for us this week, then? Uh, what you got for me? Finish me out. There's some. There's a Jonah Hill thing. There is a Jonah Hill thing. I'll let you take that because I don't know too much about it. Okay, so it's the John Callahan biopic, which is oh, is that uh, the cartoonist? The cartoonist John Callahan, who did. Uh, he was he was paralysed in I think it was a car accident. He was paralysed in a car accident, and he started doing. He started using cartoon work as a mm. form of therapy, and he started dealing with topics that were just macabre and horrible. Yeah. and he became a cult icon because of it. And his work wound up getting published in the New Yorker and Playboy and Penthouse and publication. Anywhere, anywhere that still runs cartoons, basically, and um, he died in I think it was twenty ten. The twenty ten. But he's there's Quite been recent. there's a book been written about him called Don't Worry He Won't Get Far on Foot. Uh, Gus Van Sant's directing it. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is gonna play John Callahan, and now apparently Jonah Hill and Rooney Mara in talks. Joining for as well. That's very cool. That's that a good is list. cool. It's yeah. gonna be. I think it's gonna be an interesting project. Joaquin Phoenix will sell the hell out of that. Yeah. I think he's got the chops for it. Absolutely. Cool. Um, I shall leave us with this then. Go on. uh, Make it a good one. I will make it a good one. Um, So Peter Jackson of The Lord of the Rings. I'm familiar with his work. Yeah. I watched Fellowship of the Ring the other day, actually. Well, it's it's 15 years. It's 15 years since Fellowship, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was just, on, it was on feel like, really old. Channel 4 or ITV, isn't it? Oh, was it really? Like, yeah. another weekend or something? Yeah. yeah I, think, they I, think, I, might, I might watch him. I might watch him over oh, a week. Bust this. They played Fellowship, then The Hobbit and Unexpected I heard about that, yeah, like, actually. Why? Crazy to... Just, what, why? Just put the originals on. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. just put, yeah, put all three on. Because once you sat through Fellowship... 
you want to just watch you are Twin in Towers. It. You're in. Yeah. Although I, I find it hard to watch those films on TV because I just want to watch the extended versions. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Well, Peter Jackson said that uh, David Bowie was originally hired to play Gandalf. Yeah, so I heard that. We've heard yeah. that um, uh, Sean Connery. He was offered it mm-hmm. and then turned down because, respectfully, he just wasn't familiar with the source material. So yeah. turned it down to League of Gentlemen, then quit acting. <laughs> Rather than so ceremoniously. Yes, he did. Uh, but yeah, that uh, bad. Rose of Power, uh, uh, Jareth himself was uh, was uh, playing Gandalf. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know bad. what I, I encountered the other day? Uh, because uh, John Mosby, friend of the show, has been, uh, he did some work for a Highlander convention in the US. Yeah. He was, uh, he was overseeing, he was the host of a Highlander anniversary convention yeah. in Florida, I think. Was he hosting it uh, with somebody else, or was he just one host? Because speaking, there can only be one. Oh my, I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And yet, you, you let me do it. <laughs> I was sat there thinking, is this going to unfold the it's, way it's, I it's think gonna, it it's is? It's going to be a little bit one, But uh, no, so I've been filled with a desire to rewatch Highlander. And then I remembered that Sean Connery plays the least convincing Egyptian in cinematic history. I mean, not not even uh, Antonio Banderas good. Oh, no. But uh, still pretty poor. And um, yeah, so I might rewatch that. Although I just, I'm embracing myself with the joy of Sean Connery as, I'm an Egyptian. <laughs> Let's watch uh, Zardos sometime. Oh, man. Is that, that the Sean Connery where he's in the little, uh, the little pouch? The little yep. red leather pouch? Yeah, and he's got a ponytail, a handlebar moustache, and, like, a pistol. And... Oh, man, yeah. Yeah. I, watch I mean, if, if it's going to be remade, remake it with Nick Cage. Yeah, I mean, do you know the best part? Nicholas Cage would do it as well. Absolutely. He'd probably bring his own, uh, own outfit. <laughs> I think he could, he'd have his he own red leather strap. Let's be honest, Nicolas Cage with a ponytail his current hairline would look no less... When was the last time we ever saw him with a ponytail? Nicolas Cage? Yeah. I don't know, Because he's, he's sported long hair a lot. He's sported but... long hair, but he never does a ponytail. Uh. Maybe it's because of a receding hairline. It just looks... Oh, hang on. Does he weird. have a bit of a ponytail in Outcast? <sighs> it's not so much a ponytail as it is a weird bird's nest come Russell Brand <laughs> back home situation. You know what? On which note, here it is. Your moment of Cage. Hurts. Good. If it was my choice, I would have let you rot. Oh, great. My companion's safe. Black guards are as thick as flies on a farting goat's ass because of you. You brought them here. How'd you find me, lad? <laughs> 